This episode is supported by Dove. Narrow beauty standards have permeated our feeds, perpetuating beauty ideals that can't be achieved in real life, impacting girls' self-esteem. To help combat this, the Dove Self-Esteem Project is taking action to support the next generation so they can have a positive experience on social media by providing free resources to parents, mentors, and educators. Dove is tackling the issue of digital distortion with Reverse Selfie, a film rooted in new research on body confidence. They're also providing a new confidence kit so that kids and parents can navigate social media with confidence and have a more positive experience online. Head on over to dove.com slash the selfie talk to download the new confidence kit and helpful tips to have the selfie talk today. But Alex. Yeah, Shane. Let's begin this episode. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree podcast, episode 100. Wow, we did it. It felt so good writing episode 100 in my notes tonight. Congrats, it's, babe. It's hard to believe we're here. I couldn't be more excited. I can't believe we're here. I can't believe it. We barely got to episode 10. I know. Yeah. <laughs> this is truly an achievement for us. Yeah. Like this feels incredible. And we have some incredible guests. One of these guests really started it all for us. And we think it's oh very God. fitting for them to be numero uno guest in this episode hell yeah we have sarah nicole landry as we all know as the birds papaya everyone knows her we all love her and she comes on she just had a baby little lemmy so we talk about her experience in this new pregnancy and postpartum the age gap in her kids what it's like to have kids you know that many years apart what motherhood is just like now because everything changes you have to learn things unlearn things and just the experience and the process of all of that we talk about mom guilt recovery tons of stuff you're gonna like it. it's a very candid and personal interview then she is followed by another awesome guest we have michelle chubb who is also known as indigenous baddie so i found her on tiktok like she is taking over tiktok huge on instagram and she is just phenomenal when it comes to educating people on what it is like to be an indigenous person in canada so we talk about her experience growing up becoming more confident in her identity experience racism microaggressions and then just taking over tiktok landing sephora campaigns going in fashion magazines and she is also newly pregnant so we talk about motherhood amazing this is it's gonna be a good episode i think oh it's gonna be a great episode you're gonna enjoy it but shane hey let's get into it baby cheers Cheers to celebrate. I made your favorite seed lip cocktail. So you're welcome. All it, this is my favorite. Se. It is your favorite, you dingus. Sorry, I mean, this is my favorite. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So with seed lip, of course, our favorite non-alcoholic spirit, I made the seed lip coconella. So that's seed lip spice 94, coconut milk, honey syrup, lemon, sugar syrup, and cinnamon. And you should be exceptionally proud of me because after we went out last night and like partied and stayed up late, I still came home and made honey syrup and sugar syrup just for you. Oh, yeah. I am appreciative. This has been one heck of a run. We had two weeks at the cottage where we were on vacation for one of those (laughs) weeks. Uh, We were living it up, even though we were working for the other week. Then we had the Arkell show. Then that took about a week to recover from. And then our anniversary. Five-year anniversary. That's not just four years. That's a big one. So for you to do all this and make this amazing cocktail, which is my favorite, (laughs) I really got to, you know, hand it to you. Yeah. But another thing I have to hand to you right now is now, as you know, we did not have time to write anniversary cards. This is something that you are very adamant about. We write our own handwritten 
cards. Yes. I, I hate I hate just doing the here's a card with the hallmark thing and I'm signing my name at the bottom. Hate How, it. However, we had to get both kids ready. We each child of ours, we have two children, Betty and Lucy. Betty is one years old. We shipped her off to your parents. Mm-hmm. And Lucy, who's three years old, we had her stay at our home and we had our other grandparents come over and watch her. So we split them up and prepping that took a lot of time, meaning some things had to fall to the wayside. And one of those things was writing our anniversary cards. But we do have Hallmark written cards that I picked out. Well, and yes. So Shane had to go to Shoppers Drug Mart right before we left. We had to get like, you know, bread, bananas, milk, the basics. And then I, I, I don't know if you would have done this. And you tell me if you would have. But I asked you to pick up two anniversary cards for us because I hadn't gotten one. And I knew you hadn't gotten one either. I was going to pick up a card for me. The pressure was on because I was thinking – Oh, no, I didn't. I don't have my card. I didn't write anything yet. When I come home, she's probably going to you know, surprise me with this beautifully <laughs> written card. You know, you always write so well and you bring a tear to my eye when I read your cards. And my cards, the last couple occasions, I've realized what really gets you happy is if I write a highly sexualized card <laughs> about what a beautiful woman you are and how attracted I am to you. Which is fun for me. So I tried to find cards that could embody that in the Hallmark way. So I'm going to give you haven't seen this card, but I'd like you to read this. And maybe, I don't know, Erica, you could throw some romantic music or something touching behind this. And then you're going to read yours to me? Yes. All right. For my husband, when I look at you, I see a man who gives his all in everything. A man who is an honest generous, loving heart, a man I respect, appreciate, and love. When I look at you, I see the man I'm proud to call my husband. Happy anniversary. Alex. Are you crying? Well, I know Hallmark <laughs> wrote that, but just the words ring so true. And that <laughs> that is emotional for me. Okay, now I'll read the card that Hallmark wrote for you okay. from me. It says, I do. The two most exciting words in the English language. (laughs) Now I'm going to open to the inside of the card. Then it says, do me. The (laughs) other two most exciting words in the English language. Happy anniversary, babe. (laughs) Wow, Shane. That was truly so sentimental. and No, but it wasn't supposed to be. What I was thinking was fitting. <laughs> I went out of my way and found Hallmark cards that embodied what we no, normally do. You know what? I And I do think you did a really good job of it. I, I really do. So I, I kind of gave you a, a, a verbal card yesterday when we were floating in the pool. And it was basically exactly this card that you got from Hallmark. I don't remember this. We were both bawling our eyes out. I was crying in you the pool? You were crying in the pool. Oh, my goodness. You don't remember that? I'm ashamed to say. <laughs> Shame. Okay, we were floating around the pool. We had we had a we had a floaty. Like you had a noodle, and then I was like holding on to you, and you were holding on to the noodle, and we were just like floating around. And uh, we were just talking about like our marriage and our relationship and our life, and you know how grateful we are for everything. 
And then I started telling you how grateful I was for stuff. But I, I, I gave like an impassioned speech and you started crying like you were having visible tears, not just one, but tears coming down your face. There was a lot of chlorine in that pool. Are you sh- <laughs> are you sure it was speech related? Because we had been in that pool for about eight hours and I think it was really getting to me. Shane. You're it certain. Was, it was speech related because then you were planting the mommy. You were kissing me. You're like, oh, that's so nice. Kisses. I know, but you were crying. You were planting Was kisses. my voice changing? Like, mm. No. Well, that was so you're nice. like, I feel the same way. I love you. I'm grateful for you. Man. <laughs> it was a I'm tender, embarrassed. It was a tender moment. I'm embarrassed. Okay. <laughs> Not that I didn't mean it because I am always touched by your cards and I, I have a special appreciation for our relationship always, but especially on our anniversaries. And uh, the five is a big one. I'm shocked you don't remember that. A little bit disappointed. I'm ashamed, I just said. I'm ash- I'm more disappointed than you because that is uh, <laughs> not good. But hey, this is the longest relationship I've ever been in. Same. And even in marriage years, it's the longest relationship I've ever yeah. been in. So. Well, we, I mean, we haven't been together that much longer than marriage years. We've been together six years, married for five, you know, engaged after, what, six months or whatever it is. Like, Yeah. But it's don't you think it's very fitting that our five year and our hundredth episode coincide pretty much? I've been thinking about that all day. How cool is that? Yeah, like it's, it's so cool. cool. So I wanted to ask you mm. questions related to our podcast, having done a hundred episodes. Okay. What do you feel like you've learned in doing a hundred episodes besides mm. just how to do a podcast? I mean, is there anything else? Alex is burping. Don't say that. Okay. Alex didn't burp. <laughs> okay. I have learned. Just that, I guess the importance of advocating for yourself and just going for it because we have totally gone for it, which is something that was kind of, it made me very nervous because I'm not that type of person. Typically, I don't, I play it safe. I don't go for creative projects, passion projects, anything like that. And you and I have gone for it. We went balls to the wall. We really have been putting so much effort into this and what we are seeing from that, like the fruits of our labor, like this awesome community, this great podcast, these awesome guests and everything that's associated with that has been so rewarding and it is so fun. So I think I've I've learned to trust myself a little more and uh, trust my creativity a little more. And it's just, it's been such a blast and honestly, one of the most rewarding things I've done. You are creative. And you you. are an excellent interviewer. Thank you. And I feel comfortable having you conduct 90% of the interviews. Well, you know, the more interviews we do, the I'm like, I get proud of myself. I'm like, okay, I I did this well in this interview, whatever. But then I also get, I become more aware of the ways in which I'm terrible as an interviewer. So it's like when we first started, maybe our first five interviews that we did, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm good at this. But I'm reading questions from a paper and trying to memorize them and getting so nervous if it kind of deviates from my, you know, pre-planned script. That was when we were on the phone. And when you're on the phone, you are at a little bit of an advantage because Mm -hmm. you can ignore the person because they can't see that you're just staring at your phone. Yeah. And you can just read verbatim what you've written down. But when you do Zoom, it really tests your listening abilities, mm-hmm. and uh, I think you've adapted to all that. Oh, thank you. Really yeah, no, it's been it's been fun to learn. But what about you? What what have you learned? I've learned how much of a challenge it is to do this all. 
Oh my gosh. I had underestimated the sheer amount of work. <laughs> I really respect anyone who books guests. Mm-hmm. That is a that's a whole full-time job. That's a whole just do like anyone who does this by themselves. People like Renee, the mom room. Yeah, absolutely. Like she's doing it all by herself, no co-host. And sometimes people might think that's low frivolous. Oh, you're just doing social media. It is an unbelievable grind. Huge. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely learned that balancing uh, home life with work life. And then real job life. feel like I've gotten better at that. There was a period during this pandemic where... Every weekend I was working mm-hmm. from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed and I had no days off. And that, I think, was stressful yeah. <laughs> for <the> everyone. <laughs> uh, but yeah, okay. What's your least favorite thing about doing the podcast? My least favorite thing? Yeah, let's just make it negative right now. Okay, okay. My least favorite thing would be that it sometimes causes like work-related conflict between you and I, whether it's you know, we don't see something the same or one of us forgets to do something and the other person was expecting it or just the stress of what we're doing can sometimes cause us to be testy in regards to work. So obviously that's like my least favorite. Like I don't want anything to cause conflict. But then I think through that conflict, we've learned a lot. So it's, I don't know, you know, double-edged sword. Is that the right? That's a double-edged sword. It's a bad thing, but good things have come from it. But that's my least favorite. What's your least favorite? booking yes <laughs> yeah it's just so tough man especially especially outside of, like when things opened up in the pandemic you really notice that people have lives and their schedules are a oh lot gosh. less opened up so it's going to be a challenge going forward but we have sharpened our sword so much more than we were at the beginning of this that i think we are well equipped to mm-hmm. handle weird little hiccups speaking of hiccups i have a new plan okay and it's about dealing your account's gotten so much bigger in fact it's mm-hmm. you, you just sheer instagram numbers have grown like they've doubled within the last month yeah you know oh, and that's nuts. that was three and a half years of buildup, and now all of a sudden you've doubled and you get a lot of comments and some of them <laughs> some of them are criticisms uh, a lot like let's face yeah, yeah. it anytime you have a social media account you're going to get a fair amount of criticism no matter what you're talking about mm-hmm. And the other day you got a comment where someone was saying, it was something innocuous that you put out there. It was like, oh, uh, we're going to have the, no, it was about the podcast. You said, Mm -hmm. we're going to have a period guru Mm -hmm. on. To to answer questions about period products, like different products, like cups and tampons. And then the person was like, well, this guru better actually be uh, a doctor or a certified expert. (laughs) And you were like, well, actually, it's not. But we have several episodes that have dealt with this. And you really gave it her, yeah. her a thoughtful response. It was a long message. And she put way more effort into her hate message. Mm-hmm. And you put a lot of effort into your kindness responding. And then when she had nothing to say, she just gave a thumbs up. She gave me. Th- OK, so she <laughs> asked me this thing about the group better be a medical expert, whatever. I'm like, we're talking about like literally talking about tampons. I don't need a doctor to talk about tampons. You know, I could have somebody who works in this field who is not a doctor. Anyhow, I tell her this in a nice way. Tell her the episodes to go to if she does want an OB's opinion on stuff. And then... She gives me the thumbs up. That is the most passive, aggressive, like whatever response. So I'm baffled. I don't know what to do. I'm like, do I just block her right now? Do I say, hey, that's not very nice and like shake my finger at her? So I just give her a thumbs up too. And I didn't feel good about that. 
I, oh, I wish so I could have said more. I heard about this and I just go, Alex, block her. You have to block her. <laughs> we, this, and this, people like this too. It's not an original thing. We, there's a, like get in line because we get yeah hundreds of comments like this and some people approach it nicely. Yes. And when, when you, and if they don't approach it nicely, once you answer them with kindness, they say, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to come across that way. Thank you for mm -hmm. addressing this. It's just a lot of people are pseudoscientific and it can be dangerous to give misinformation, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, when you get a response like Absolutely. that and you go, oh, I understand. And you, you're having a real dialogue all of a sudden with a real person. So blocking people like this, I think is such a good thing. It's, it's just, we're, I don't know if it's because I've been watching Ted Lasso or <laughs> seeing just anti-toxic people messaging a lot yeah. lately, but I think we need to get these people out of our lives mm -hmm. and n not to say we get rid of criticism out of our lives. No, no, no. But I, I think getting rid of people who can't, when be you kind. have conflicting viewpoints, who can't be kind and have different opinions and discuss that together because I have, I have friends that I you know, have conflicting viewpoints with. And, you know, I, like Shane said, I get messages every single day. I have no problem discussing that. But if you come at it with kindness, then it's it's great because then we both have a constructive conversation. We can both perhaps learn something. But then if you come at it with like a thumbs up and a, oh, I'm just trying to say I told you so or whatever, that is so annoying. And Shane, when you told me to block her and I did, I was like hesitant at first. But after, it felt so damn good. <laughs> I love the squeak. <laughs> but, you know, we've given a lot of people too much rope. If you're listening to this, you know who you are. And yeah, we're talking directly to you. <laughs> and you're going to be blocked. And when you hear this, you're going to look and you're going to say, oh, well, I thought this community was for everyone. And it is. But you have to be kind. Yes. We need to deal with kind people. And that's what this community is about. Mm -hmm. We give everyone the time of day we listen to every criticism and there's not an exact science to this we don't know really how we're gonna define <laughs> when someone has crossed the line and who deserves to be blocked but it's kind of like that supreme court decision when they were trying to define what obscene pornography was we'll know it when we see it <laughs> that's the perfect way yeah so just hey there's a new sheriff in town this is how it's going to be and thank you all for understanding. Are we both the sheriff? Of course. Of course. There's two. Yeah. When, it, when I say new sheriff, it's just yes. All right. I like co-sheriffing with you. I'm excited. Yes. Likewise. So should we get to our first? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. It's episode 100. I'm just pumped. I'm excited too. <laughs> and that's why I think we should just get to this guest. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's get to Sarah. See, I always call her, for some reason, I have this problem where I always just call people by their Instagram name. So I'm, I'm always just like the bird's papaya. I wonder how often she just gets called, oh, so hi, birds or. Birds. I'm sure if somebody's going to say that, they're going to say bird's papaya. Hey, bird's papaya. Because, you know, people, I forget. I forget if I see like people's handles of people on my personal account that like I went to high school with. I forget their real names and just know their handles. And these are people I've known for 20 years. Yes. It's really, it throws you for a loop. On my other podcast, we had this topic once, and I mentioned how there's certain people that I only refer to by their handles. And then I, I said that, and then I mentioned the people that I only call by their handles, and they blocked me. What? These people. <laughs> so, yeah. So, well, okay, We're just, not the only people block happy. I just got to say, too, like an embarrassing thing. So, a girl I've known for a very long time, she's going to be my best friend's sister-in-law very soon. I see her at the mall, just like in passing, say Hi. Then I leave the store 
And I left my wallet in the store and she comes running through the mall. She's like, Alex, you forgot your wallet. I've known this woman for years. And I go, oh, thanks. And it's like, didn't even think about it. Just spit it out. Her name's totally, I was humiliated because she didn't say anything. She just kind of gave me a look and I was like, yeah, uh, thanks. Bye. And I walked away and I'm still humiliated when I think of that. It was awful. All right. But should we get to the woman who started it all? And what I mean by that is she made us realize that we can get big guests and we can be a top tier podcast. (laughs) Yes, let's do it again for the second time, which we are so honored to be able to say Sarah Nicole Landry from the Birds of Aya. All right. But before we get to this interview, let's let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by Mini Miyash. They're a premium organic, ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. The best company ever, Mini Miyash. Oh, they're amazing. And they believe in quality over quantity. So you are getting like the best basics for your littles. I mean, they're fashionable wardrobe staples that are comfy, soft and timeless and can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender. I meant to say best clothing company because all of our partners we consider to be equally great. Absolutely. Best kids and babies clothing company. And, you know, hopefully maybe one day adult clothing company, but uh, praying every night for that. But what we love about them is that their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally and they use GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. We may never know what GOTS certified means, but it sounds darn good and you know it's important. Oh, absolutely. And Mini Miyash is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. You can find the company online at minimiyash.com or at minimiyash on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're going to get 15% off your entire order. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is minimiyash.com and thisfamilytree15. But we are also supported by Mabel's Labels. Frustrated by their children's things getting lost, mixed up, and leaving home never to return, Julie Cole and three other mom friends knew they could do better than just scribbling their kids' names on some masking tape. From there, Mabel's Labels has grown into an award-winning, market-leading company loved by moms and dads and kids and grandparents and teachers and, like, anybody who is responsible for kids and their things alike. Lucy loves them because she she helps me make them, and it's such a fun experience. So she gets to put, you know, heart shapes, hedgehogs, cherries, and then it helps her to really take responsibility for her stuff. Well, she's picking out the labels. She's not making the labels, out. She's not making them. She's crea- She's designing them. Okay, and I'll accept that. <laughs> and it's fun. And Shane and I, of course, like them because their line of products is just huge. They have baby bottle labels, allergy and medical alert products, sports labels, household labels, and seasonal items. Plus, everything is so durable, like laundry, dishwasher, microwave safe, and it's all 100% guaranteed. You could even hit it with a hammer. <laughs> but that would be silly. But you can head on over to mableslabels.ca and start creating your very own labels. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15, you're getting 15% off your entire order. They deliver internationally and they offer free standard shipping in Canada and in the U.S. Again, that is mableslabels.ca and ThisFamilyTree15. And now let's get to our interview with Sarah. Beautiful. Sarah, welcome back. Thank you so much for coming back. The last time Shane and I spoke to you was last spring. And you were one of our last phone interviews before pandemic and before Zoom took over the world. So it's so nice to actually like kind of sit here and almost talk to you face to face. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, the the world of almost, that's kind of where we are now. We've had to, and you know what? In a way, I kind of love it because I definitely have been like, oh, I have like, this is my friend and this is my friend. And people are like, you've never met them. I'm like, <laughs> have you, is your parent still your parent after a year of not seeing them? Right. Like, yes, they are. So yes, they are my friends and this is all valid. <laughs> I, I feel that 100%. And I'm so glad you feel that way because that's how I feel about all my internet friends. Yeah, but, they're my friends. <laughs> right, so, okay, I got to say pandemic aside, yeah. This year has been life-changing for you. Congratulations oh, on thanks. Lemmy, the sweetest thing Thank ever. You. And that Honest. is huge because when we spoke, I was pregnant. I don't I don't know if you were pregnant or not, but it was like last like wintry. Then no. Yeah. I wouldn't have been. So how I are, wouldn't have been. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Good. I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things, and I'm just gonna like preface this with um a little bit of a warning for anybody who's struggling with infertility. This isn't always the most ideal thing to hear from somebody, but we basically had a lot of discussions over the years about whether or not we'd have a kid. And I was very, we were very resigned to the fact that we weren't going to have one of our own. I have my three kids from his previous marriage. He'd been previously married, never had kids. So it was kind of this storybook type of scenario where I didn't have to have a child with him for him to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. He was happy being a parent to my three kids. It was like, perfect. I didn't, there was no pressure there whatsoever, but then it added that layer of, well, what do we want? And my history was a 10 year stay at home mom. So the idea of having a child was filled with a very different scenario. It was filled with one vehicle, not a lot of excess money, a uh, very, very low income and being home all the time with kids and struggling with mental health throughout all of it. I mean, now we talk about postpartum and it's a lot more normalized. I didn't know that it wasn't normal to be sitting and sobbing on your bathroom floor every single day of motherhood. That, that was my normal. I just thought that's, ho that's hormones. People are just like, it's hormones, all of that. I struggle. I don't, I'm not an angry person. I struggle with anger. I had, you know, body issues. There was just a lot of that. So the idea of having a child was like asking me to go back into like a very traumatizing, difficult time. And so we had, we didn't really, we didn't really get too, too serious about it until my best friend was getting married in St. Lucia. We all went on this big trip. There's 80 of us. I Holy don't shit. remember much of it. Yeah, it was, was wild. And she was very like, we're trying for a baby right after this. Like you guys should do this with us. And we're like, this sounds like a real, like, it's fine to like, do you want to do a tequila shot with me? Totally different game with like, do you want to have a baby? Yeah, like, let's yeah. do this. And we were still newlyweds too. We'd been married for a year and a half. And so I kind of, I'm like, watch, I'm going to like bug him with this. So I'm like, Shane, Ariana thinks that we should have babies at the same time. And he's like, okay. And I was like, that joke just backfired on me. So did, that, wait, did his response like knock you on your ass? Yeah, because I just, it was always before, like, I don't know, like the timing, like this, mm -hmm. like that, like I, and he was just very calm about it. And I was like, whoa, this was a different response than either one of us had really ever had. So we, and, and I love these kind of conversations because nobody ever talks about what it's like to try and find out the perfect time to have a baby because it doesn't exist. It doesn't, ex never. It doesn't. And my career was now at a peak. So there's a lot of fear involved. He also has his own career and it just, it, it felt weird for him to agree to it. And 
you know, to be honest, I didn't really take it too seriously. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic happened and we were locked down and we're spending a lot of time together. And I'm so grateful to be in a situation where that was a lovely thing for us, Mm -hmm. that we actually really had a lot of connection time and really got to look at each other and be like, Hey, I actually really like you. I really feel safe and secure here. This is very good for us. At the very early days, I think there was still a lot of stress management and a little bit of drinking. And we had some drinks one day and we were watching the episode of The Office when Jim and Pam have a baby. And I just was like sobbing watching this. And I was like, I think we should have a baby. And maybe this is like what we're meant to, we were meant to slow down. We were meant to like have this time meant to see this episode and talk about having a baby. So that night we pulled the goalie and then freaked the fuck out. Like oh my God. freaked. Like Did I, it happened like, right away for you guys. It happened on the mm-hmm. one chance God had on us. Like we opened a window and like, there was, I knew like immediately we went into like, both of us were like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Like, what were we thinking? We're not ready for this. <laughs> this is such a bad idea. And like, we were just went spiraling. So we were like, yeah, definitely if we're having those feelings, maybe not the time for us. Let's just like shelf that. So I had thought I was pregnant the month before Mm -hmm. for no reason. Like I just was like, I know my body, my boobs feel bigger. (laughs) What really happened was pandemic and I had gained weight. So Mm -hmm. like, I just had associated that with pregnancy. And so the next month, like I, I had, I guess when I bought a pregnancy test for that one month, I had a dual pack. It was like two of them. So on mother's day, I thought it would be as I'm walking to the bathroom at like 8 PM and I'm feeling all sorry for myself because my kids were dropped off at their dad's. I went and grabbed that extra pregnancy test on the stairs. And I was like, I'm going to take a pregnancy test on mother's day. Cause that's <laughs> what you do. My period wasn't even due. And it came back pregnant and, you know, you always run these scenarios of like how you would tell them and how you would like present that you're having a child with them. And I just fucking ran out of the bathroom and I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And he's just like, (laughs) we just both looked at each other and we were like grinning, but in shock and like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Like, and it's mother's day. So we immediately call our mothers and we're like, you're not going to believe this. And it was just like, you know, I do have a bit of a faith-based background. It was such a God thing in the sense that like, we couldn't make this decision. It was never going to happen for us. Our Mm -hmm. lives were too chaotic on paper. It sounded like the worst idea. And pregnancy was, I mean, it, that nothing knocked me on my ass more. I ended up falling into prenatal depression. We had pregnancy complication after complication. And as soon as she was born, I remember just like sobbing and sobbing and sobbing while holding her being like, nothing else matters. Mm -hmm. This was so meant to be, and I couldn't see it, but because how could I see it? We, we created these scenarios in which it wasn't going to work because we couldn't factor in how it would work. We couldn't factor in this human. We couldn't factor in that love. It just was, it was such a foreign such a foreign thing. Like someone, when I was struggling through pregnancy with connecting said, like, it's trying to all of a sudden bond with your liver. You wouldn't be like, Oh, Mm -hmm. this precious liver. I love you so much. And that's how pregnancy felt for me. So when she came, it was like all of that flood of desire to have Mm -hmm. a child thinking that it could be okay. Fighting for, you know, balance and all of that stuff finally came to be because it all didn't make sense until she got here. And so our last year has been a roller coaster, uh, like to summarize that an yeah. absolute roller coaster. 
and essentially just a journey of trust, Mm -hmm. a a lot of trust. Well, I I have to say that I am an advocate for making big life-changing decisions after a few drinks. That is when when we decided to get married and when we conceived both children in the bag, for lack of a better term. Inhibitions, like it's inhibitions. We always think about it for other things. It's like sometimes we just need to like skin all the stuff away and just be like, okay, what do you want? You need a little push. You just need a little push. So I'm an advocate for that. But, you know, you mentioned going through all this when you had during pregnancy, right? And it was hard to bond. I know you had depression. Uh, I was following your stories. And I didn't know that was a thing, first of all. But I had uh, two terrible pregnancies. So my only two experiences with pregnancy, like, uh, you know, full term pregnancies, terrible. I have lupus. So I had a every symptom that you could have as a pregnant woman was like totally exacerbated and it was just really awful and I felt I felt kind of guilty and kind of shameful sometimes for talking about that because I know that so many people would give anything like I would have given anything to be a mom and to have successful pregnancies but at the same time I freaking I hated it like I hated being pregnant I know so yeah what was that experience? Like, cause I, I had HG with my second and I, I think that you went through that as well. Uh, I wasn't full blown. I okay. was put on a medication, but I was sick my entire pregnancy and it was, yeah. And, and you're right. There's a lot of guilt with it. Like there's, you're with the existence of understanding that people are spending tens of thousands or life savings on having a baby. And like, who are you to sit there and complain about the situation? But then if you don't, it's got nowhere to go. And that's what happened to me was I took a couple comments way too much to heart, which was basically like, at least, you know, you're pregnant, at least you're having a baby. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I, I, my, I hate anybody having like the, any type of negative feeling when they're on my page. So I just was like, I'm going to have to eat this. This is just going to be my struggle and I will deal with that. It wasn't a good idea. It was incredibly lonely. I began bleeding at 16 weeks because of Previa. And so I started to, which if you don't know, is like the placenta is like for anybody listening, placenta over the cervix. So when we would have sex, I would bleed and it's a risk for both mom and baby. And so I was put on pelvic rest, no sex, no exercise. So I gained weight. My body was changing. I was sick all through the pregnancy. Everyone kept saying like, just make it to three months. I made Mm -hmm. it to three months. And then it was like 16 weeks got even worse. And then it would just, I was spiraling by the end of it. It was just feeling like you're holding yourself together for that long was a lot. And to not feel like you could talk about it was even more. Mm -hmm. There was times where I'd get like really I would really like be at capacity of trying to hold that. And I would be like, I'm not okay. But when it came down to like the fact that all of this combined, I had zero connection to the pregnancy. I was so scared of losing it that I didn't allow myself any type of joy. I felt like I didn't deserve it. I felt like because I was so sick and I was so resentful that that resentfulness was like going towards whatever I was growing. I was just like, I'm not a bitter person. I'm not an angry person. I'm not a disgruntled person. And like, that's who I was becoming because I was just so trapped. I felt so trapped Mm -hmm. when you have, when your feelings have nowhere to go, they go inward and they affect every part of you. And that's essentially what happened. And I didn't know that there was such thing as prenatal depression. I had no idea. Had no idea. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, why do I have zero connection with this baby? I, 
I loved that everyone else was happy for me, but I was really struggling. Like I, that was probably the darkest time of my life, which makes zero sense. And that, and I think this is why mental health doesn't discriminate because I'm in a, ha- I'm like, I went from being a divorced single mom of three struggling all the time with like finances and all those things to going to like, my career is great. I have an amazing marriage with a really great man. I am pregnant. These are beautiful things everyone's happy for me. I'm not happy. I'm, this is the worst I've ever been. It doesn't make sense. And I started therapy only to really unearth a lot of past trauma, a lot of past sadness, things relating to past births, things that I didn't even remember happening, things relating to what stay-at-home motherhood was, basically an undiagnosed postpartum depressions and anxieties from my previous pregnancies that I just thought were normal, like I said. And really went and faced them head on. What was really interesting about this is for how much I struggled through the pregnancy, we ended up having, I had four birth plans because we were very aware that like anything tipping one way or another could send me spiraling. And so we had four birth plans. We had a C-section, we had hospital with medication, we had hospital drug free, and we had a home birth understanding that this is also peak pandemic. We're at the highest case counts that we were at. We knew that there was with my last pregnancy with my son, I had a 20 minute labor. So we understood that going to the hospital risked us from for being separated. We knew that there wouldn't be much chance to document it or take pictures or have anything. We, we knew that um, from my past pregnancies, I'd had two failed epidurals. So while I was such a huge fan of all these things, And on top of that previous, so we were at risk of a C-section. We had to have four birth plans. So we have these four birth plans and all of a sudden in these final days, everything just starts to smooth out. My previa heals, the cysts, there were cysts on the baby's brain. They're gone. There were cysts on my ovaries that were three inches. They were gone. Everything that was like, we had a laundry list and it was gone. And I got to give birth at home, which I never saw for That's myself. Incredible. I never thought I could never mm-hmm. really allowed myself to think that, but this pandemic pushed me into that thinking and that belief. So I went from like intense therapy over trauma of past pregnancies and births and, you know, anxiety and depression into having this incredibly beautiful birth experience to which I'm tucked into my own bed, surrounded by my children and my husband and my mom and my sister. And I was just like, okay. And then after that, my depression was like, legitimately, I didn't struggle with it in postpartum. It was absolutely mind blowing. Gives me a lot of empathy now for anybody struggling through pregnancy and through postpartum, because it is just it's a mind fuck and it's a it body is. fuck it all is. and not the, not the good kind. No, but I do, I do want to touch on the good kind in a second, but you know, you mentioned how, you know, there were, and like me, like there were moments of shame because you don't want to make somebody else feel bad. But I think that also sets a dangerous precedent. If it's like, I can't talk about the hard parts about pregnancy or having a baby because you know, what if this person has always wanted a child gets to that point, has a child, then do they feel trapped in their emotions that they can't express any sadness or fear or anything like that over what they're going through, right? So that, I think it's it's a tough line to walk, but I, I, I think that's super valid. Uh, and secondly, the good kind of body fuck, um, during that time, right? And I know that, you know, you were put on pelvic rest, so yeah. no sex, anything like that. For me, 
and like Shane, my husband, Shane as well, we talk all the time about my love language is like frequent touching always need to be wanted and desired by him always. Mm -hmm. So that would really throw me for a loop. And even postpartum both times, I I had a hard time Mm -hmm. in those phases trying to not maintain my connection, but feel connected without connecting in the way that I would prefer, which is through like constant sex. So what was that an issue or was it like so far out of your brain because everything else was taking precedent? Like how, how, how did you deal with connection with your, with your partner, with Shane? Yeah. We're so newlyweds. Like mm-hmm. we were on yeah. there. It, it was, <laughs> I mean, and then add the pregnancy hormones in mm-hmm. where you want sex all the time. It was just, it was probably more frustrating for me. Mm-hmm. For him, I think he was very protective of me. He, he re- really went into a protective mode. I always say I miss being pregnant only for the fact that my husband treated me like absolute, like fragile glass <laughs> and just like anything I needed. And then like, then I realized that I was just housing the glass mm-hmm. and then the baby came out and now he's like, yeah, no, you're fine. <laughs> you you're good. Um, no, he was, we really did find a new level of intimacy. And I think that that is so important to share. And it doesn't, didn't have to be sexual in any type, because I think we tried to kind of do things that was like the everything, but, and it mm-hmm. just added to the frustration. It really added to it. And so a, lo- a lot of it was like being held hand holding, talking about it, expressing like I miss like we would often just say, I miss you. Like mm-hmm. I miss you in that way. But knowing that it was temporary, knowing it wasn't forever. And I think it really did set us up for that postpartum period where you've had a baby. Now my brain has deleted the app that says it wants sex. My body, (laughs) I was terrified to have sex the first time. Also don't really feel great in my body. So to like really sit and be cool with like expressing, it was just, it was too much. I was too in my head we had this other type of intimacy to fall on, which was this really, really special kind that I feel is often missing from just prioritizing sex as an act. We really got into connecting on a different level, but still skin to skin, still in touch, but just a different, not sexually related at all. So I think it's really lent itself, but at the time it just felt like the worst thing ever. It just felt like there was nowhere for that to go. And it was like, and then of course, as soon as we were given the clearance, it was just like, he literally at one point was like, I, I, I can't keep doing this. Like, this is a lot. And I was like, I want the baby out. I want like, you got to go. Like, I want to do this, got to do that. And he's just yeah. like, I'm exhausted by you. So it's kind of all over the place, but I think it really relieved me in a sense to know that our relationship wasn't hinged on that mm-hmm. because it has been a big part of our relationship for so long to just have it be gone felt scary. And it felt, it really caused me to take pause on like, where is my value in this relationship? If I can't be this to my husband, what does that mean? If I'm not the perfect um, vision of, you know, what the male gaze loves, what does that mean for us? So it really, it really made me go deeper into my own confidence in the relationship and our relationship in general. And still um, like I, I had to really, I think we both had to echo like that desire was there. It didn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't gone, but that we were excited to honor each other in like new ways and find new ways to kind of practice intimacy, which was, I mean, he probably hates this part, but a lot of talking, a yeah. lot of talking, a lot of handholding and, and I mean, it was so special and it, it makes me feel safe. It makes me feel like 
I could have anything happen to me and my relationship is no longer at risk. Cause I found a lot in talking about it, that a lot of women were like, you know, I worry like that my husband's not being like served in our relationship because right. of this, that, the other. And I'm like, I, it's such a patriarchal fear mm-hmm. for a lot of women that their body changing or the inability to have sex so often means that your entire relationship is at risk. And so, and I felt that I felt that all the same and I had to fight those same fears. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of, um, working through it really day by day, which I think is kind of what pregnancy was for me. And it sounds like it was for you too. It's a very day by day process and postpartum is no different. I can't believe I'm like almost seven months postpartum now. Cause for me, I feel like I literally gave birth yesterday. It, 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 <laughs> no. it like when, when I hear of somebody having a seven month old, I'm like, you basically got a baby last year. And I'm like, don't rush me. I'm like, my stitches are barely healed. Like don't, but it's, I'm actually very healed. It's just that I'm tired. There's a lot going on and well, after, it takes a while for the body to heal. After my first, I had PTSD whenever I pooped for like a year and a half. Like actually, I get you. scared. Nobody talks about the poop. I'd get so scared <gasps> every time. Yeah. The first poop was like awful and like I probably sat on that toilet for three hours. But for a year and a half, every time I pooped, I was like something's going to rip open and fall out. Yeah. Like it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It, it just it mm-hmm. felt like it. Mm-hmm. I think it was my mm-hmm. episiotomy. I had a really bad episiotomy. Oh, I had that with my first. Healed Worst. bad. Healed bad. And yeah. that's the thing. So like when I had my second, I had to tell my OB, I'm like, can you just kind of give me a like a vaginoplasty while you're down there anyway? Yeah. She yeah. did. Fixed it up because there was like crazy scar tissue. Like real. I didn't even know that was a thing that could happen. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. No, I have it too. Oh, really? Yeah. I, mm. I had a year long recovery from my first episiotomy, had no idea that wasn't a thing. And you don't really, I was 21 and it wasn't about to talk to yeah. my family doctor about my vagina. Mm-hmm. The scar tissue was thick and scary. Every yeah. birth after that, I was, I was an inefficient pusher because I was so scared of tearing because when you've had that type of a, when you've had that type of a tear before, oh my gosh, oh, it's just, it's, it's a lot. And I think when we talk about postpartum in that fourth trimester, we always like say it like it's, you know, it's going to be six weeks and then you're going to start feeling better. normal. <laughs> then you can exercise again. That's what six weeks is when you can start having sex. You can exercise and you go back number. to your normal life. So you're like, oh, in six weeks, I'm going to feel like myself again. My midwife was like, no, it's about a year. You'll start to feel any type of what was normal for you. And I'm so glad she said that because there's a lot of guilt and shame, especially when you see people that are feeling that six week back to normal. And you're like, I had a really, you're probably similar when you're that sick for that long, Mm -hmm. the recovery process of your body and not being able to exercise or just being sick. Like it's a process. Mm -hmm. I've had IBS ever since birth. Um, like ever since this birth, I've had IBS in the past, but it was all healed. I thought and gone now, all of a sudden that's back. Exercise is a lovely idea. Um, find me the time beyond time. I can't because of my pelvic floor. So I have been asked to stop everything. I can't run. I used to love running. Like I like playing sports. Like I play basketball, can barely play basketball right now. And it's it's like, it's, it's brutal. So I have to, I'm on this like program after you do yoga and all this stuff, but I'm not doing because I don't have time to sit there and do an hour of yoga and then like different pelvic floor things. But I need I need to prioritize. That's my issue. I know I need to prioritize too. But and that's my issue as well. But it is very hard when you're like, I need to prioritize sleep. I need to prioritize my mental health. 
how many well, freaking things are we supposed to prioritize? Like I have so much to prioritize and apparently four people like that are required me as a parent. Yeah. Like that's freaking a lot to think about some days. <laughs> Three not, of them are like teenagers. It's it. like emotional wellness they need. So, you know, this, this is so fascinating to me too, just having kids at such, with such a big age gap. So one of my best mm-hmm. friends, her youngest, there were three girls, the parents, kind of the same way as, you know, we've all decided to have kids where you just kind of have drinks one night. They did it in a heart-shaped hot tub in some like motel and had my best friend's youngest sister when she was 13. So there's that huge age gap, but it, it brought the family together and brought the siblings mm-hmm. together in a way that they honestly didn't even know was possible. So I'm curious about what that was like for you guys. Like, how did you tell your kids? What was their reaction? Did it change when Lemmy came? Like, what what was that process? Because that is mind boggling to me. Yeah. And each of them were very different. And so when we found out we were pregnant, I immediately, my heart went to my oldest because my oldest doesn't do well with change. Mm-hmm. I'm allowed to say this. She struggles with depression and anxiety. So I knew that I couldn't tell her in the context of a group thing. And I knew that while it would be sweet and cute to record the kids and their reactions, if they were toddlers, that might be one thing. They were 10, 12 and 14 at the time of us telling. And I was like, I, I can't do that to them. I can't put them in a position where they have to be on. Yeah. I want them to be honest mm-hmm. because I felt hesitant. I felt sad at times. I felt a lot of anxiety over change. I need to give them that same space to have those same reactions. So I pulled my oldest daughter aside and I told her, and I said, like, whatever you're feeling is fine. Like, it's okay. If you're mad at me, it's okay. If this sucks for you, it's okay. Whatever you're feeling. And she kind of like rocked on her heels a little bit and her eyes welled up and she was like, okay. And then she, and I said, I'm not going to tell the others for a couple of days. You've got a couple of days. So then I told the others and the other two were just like, oh my gosh, so exciting. My son's like, wait, when did you guys have sex? Were we in the house when this happened? And I was like, he kills me by the way. He like, this is is a lot funny. Yeah. He's he's like gotten, he's like the epitome of no filter. He has this like, he has a learning disability that all relates around memory, but it makes him like weirdly, I think it's like a, I think it has to do with that. He's weirdly confident and doesn't like think that. things through fully. Mm-hmm. So he just says what he thinks all the time. So he's like, when did you have sex? Was I in the house? Like what was going on? Like, did you guys think about this? Like all, the important like, questions, just, honestly, it was a lot. So it was really, I'm really glad I didn't record it to be honest. It's funny. <laughs> But then, uh, you know, the whole pregnancy, my oldest was like, remained kind of like, eh, I don't really care. I don't really mm-hmm. care. I don't really care. And the other two, my son was actually the most excited. He probably reacted more than Shane did over ultrasound photos because uh-huh. I'm doing everything. I had to go through the pandemic doing it all by yourself. Yes. So I, I went alone to things and got to come home and tell people about it. And and so he was very he was very good about it. There was a couple of times, like I, I fell when I was pregnant and like my oldest, she was like, you know, I wasn't really going to be sad about the baby, but I was, I would be really sad for you. And I'm like, that is valid. That's yeah. valid that you still care about how I feel in the situation, even while not feeling it yourself. And then she was born and I just cr- I'm still stayed with the no pressure situation. Nobody had to worry about anything. You weren't forced to hold her. You weren't forced to take care of her. We had joked in the past that if we ever had kids, we had built in babysitters. And I really had to take that back and be like, that is not a responsibility in this family. Your responsibility is to be a kid. P- please keep being a kid. So I had a lot of fears around this. I talked to a couple other families that had big age gaps and they really 
reminded me that big age gaps can be really lovely because there's no jealousy and competition. They don't have any shared interests. So therefore they don't really overlap that way. They don't really get jealous over the same things. And I was like, okay. And they're like, also it's like really great for the baby. The baby is so entertained by older kids. And I was like, okay, this, this could work. And so when I gave birth, my oldest, like really, you know, stayed on her side. She was like, not, she wouldn't even touch the baby. Like you wouldn't even touch Babies her. are scary. Don't blame her. Yeah. And you know what? It's so funny. I, I kind of talked about this in my stories because I know grown men who have never held a baby until they held their own. That was my shame. Yet people were like, people were mm-hmm. like, why is your daughter not holding the baby? Why is she not doing that? I'm like, because she, her job isn't to be a mom. Like just because she's a girl doesn't mean that she has to have some deep maternal instincts that cause her to want to like be a mini mother to this child. Like it's so unfair on her. Nobody would ever say that to a man who was uncomfortable holding yeah. a baby. So I felt really like, you know, what? I'm not pushing her on this. Mm-hmm. And then one day she just started to pick her up and she started to like really in her head. She thinks the baby just suddenly became cute <laughs> and she started to form her own relationship with her. My 13 year old is, you know, very, very natural with, with babies, especially she was took right to it. Bodum mm-hmm. was like interested in the nod and then always like in and out of everything. But she became like this, this anchor in our family. We were always like, all over, not all over the place, but there was like, we were five individuals that were family with no real commonality, except for we're all family. And so this baby gave us all like this common thing that we were all interested in, that we all were so excited by, or thought was hilarious and cute and all these little milestones that were happening along the way. And then to watch them all like my oldest now has like endless patience. She Mm -hmm. is just so Lemmy loves her so it's just the sweetest thing. And they're 15 years apart. And yet this the relationship is, is forming. And, you know, with a 13 year old, it's forming with Bowden. She thinks he's the funniest person. So Bowden's always the one to make her laugh. She's building relationships with them one-on-one. I would say the only really difficult part has been when they go to their dad's house, mm-hmm. because then they have like three or four days apart. And, you know, Lemmy gets irritable the day that they get dropped off. I didn't, I thought this would be something we deal with when she was like three. It's something we deal with right now. She gets a little bit irritable that day that they, they go and she'll often like cry in the car on the way home. And she's so little, like how does she even know it? Um, so we FaceTime with the kids now to keep her going and for both sides of them as well. So it's caused, that would be the only thing. Like, I think it, I think it took the separation part and made Mm -hmm. it a little bit more difficult, but to be honest, everything else has been incredibly encouraging and honestly beautiful. This age gap thing was awesome. Besides being this old, having a pregnancy, very different from my early twenties. That's for damn sure. But (laughs) other than that, like it is, it's so, so special to see them have this, all of them from the baby to the teen, just to have that opportunity to create relationships and that we never really would have been anticipated or planned for. And there's not a lot of, there's a lot of books on like, you know, bringing home another baby and it's all written towards like a toddler, mm-hmm. it's not really written towards like when you have a teenager and then you have a newborn. And, and so that meshing wasn't exactly seamless, but it wasn't horrible. Yeah. It was actually it's actually been a really sweet progression uh, for all of us as a family. And it's, it's been really, really special. No, I, th- I think that is so beautiful. And I think it's so honest. And I like hearing, you know, that each person does have a different reaction, because that's the thing you you're all a unit in a sense, but you're also individuals within that unit. 
All right, Sarah, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Wheelow. Shane, did you know that many Canadian kids are consuming three times more sugar than is recommended on a daily basis. Not my children. Well, that's because we are using Wheelow. And honestly, I found it difficult before we got connected with this company and found them at the grocery store because so many kids' treats have a huge concentration of sugar in them. But we are so happy, like I said, to have found Wheelow. They're school-safe snack bars with 50% less sugar than the average granola bar, which is huge. And they only have three grams of sugar per bar. The taste is kid-approved. Lucy is, like, obsessed with them. And to be quite honest, I am too. Not only do they taste great, but the bars are a great source of fiber. They contain immunity-boosting probiotics, are non-GMO verified, and they don't contain anything artificial. Wheelow is a primarily female-founded Canadian company, and they're just a great brand. Like, the bars taste good. Oh, I'm eating a bar every morning. (laughs) As you you said, somewhat awkwardly, we are using Wheelow, which (laughs) using a bar just sounds funny. We're addicted. Are you on bars? (laughs) But you can find Wheelow in many major retailers. But if you buy them online, and this is where you're going to get discounts, so you go to ourwelo.com that's o u r w e l o.com you can get 20% off your first purchase with the promo code thisfamilytree20 so again to get these delish bars go to ourwelo.com and use the promo code thisfamilytree20 but we are also supported by the Miku Pro smart baby monitor this is the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor that that you can get your hands on that money can buy all of it you want to get a good night's sleep go for this monitor (laughs) you know our favorite thing about the miku pro smart baby monitor and we've been using it for all of betty's life well don't speak for me i don't know what you're gonna say but (laughs) but okay there's no physical contact because they use sensor fusion technology so typically with you know these smart baby monitors that connect with your iphone you have to put something on your baby for it to accurately track their breathing but with the sensor fusion technology it's like a military grade breathing monitor and i actually actually got a decent sleep this postpartum time around. Wow. Shane, did I not sleep like a baby more so than the first time? I was almost so confused the way you were sleeping. I was going to get you a monitor because <laughs> you were so baby-like. So this monitor works with your smartphone to alert you of changes to your baby's vitals and nursery conditions. They also use crypto security, which means, Shane... I don't know. No hacking. Oh, no hacking. This yes. monitor can't be hacked. It's amazing. So like, you can actually get, you know... A little peace of mind that, number one, your baby is sleeping well. And number two, nobody's creeping in and trying to hack in your system to watch your baby sleep because that is an awful thought. But this monitor offers HD video and photo and great night vision. It's it's truly one of the most clear monitors that we have ever used. And we've been through a lot of them. There's also custom dual Ole Wolf speakers and a two-way microphone, which means that Miku not only plays original sleep sounds and lullabies, but it allows you to talk to your baby. You know, if they wake up, you can kind of comfort them and, you know, hopefully they'll go back to sleep. If you want to get your hands on a Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor, go to MikuCare.com and use the promo code FAMILYTREE10 for 10% off. This is available in the U.S. only. And again, that is MikuCare.com and FAMILYTREE10. No other monitor is a Miku. And now let's get back to our interview with Sarah. And, you know, like when it comes to motherhood, and this is your fourth kid, so you are like a seasoned pro. But the thing is, you know, so much changes not only in 
whatever like the books are saying and the research is saying but in how we are as parents mm. and as people and from our experiences so like how did things change for you and was there any difference in what you had to learn what you had to unlearn from when you had your three oldest kids and then going to Lemmy 15 or 10 years later I guess yeah yeah honestly the biggest one has been around all the developments in what has changed in the rule books, I found I was immensely shamed, mm -hmm. immensely shamed when I talked about food introduction. And that threw me for a loop because all of a sudden there was brand new terms that didn't even exist before all about baby led weaning and all the stuff, which I'm like, I'm so excited for you that you guys have found something that works, but you're asking something of me that gives me a lot of anxiety that I don't know any, like I've literally just heard about this last week and I'm expected to somehow be a pro. And that's, and some people actually mocked me. They're like, Oh my God, you're so out of date. Like you're so old school. And I was like, that's, I get that I'm like a mom of four, but like, this is almost like doing it all over again, because there's so many expectations, yeah. even around like, I've never like, I don't complain about sleep. I'll be like, Oh, we had a rough night or we had this. And people are like, here's your sleep training pack that you need. And I was like, <laughs> even the, even the people with the sleep training programs were never like that to me. Yeah. Like, they're like, you know what? We're here if you ever need, but like, sounds like you've got, you're, you're doing really well. Like, and I'm like, I need to be allowed. Like my daughter, one night we gave her prunes for the first time and she was just writhing with gassy pain from prunes. And immediately people were like, oh, you just need to sleep train her. She's way too old to be up in the night. And I'm like, my kids are 15. And if they have an upset stomach, they're up in the night. Like that's, that's the reality. So I was kind of just very taken aback by what it's like to parent mm -hmm. now, because while I did have my other three in social media wasn't as reactive as it is now. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't entirely prepared that there would always be this little bit of like hierarchy type of like, Oh, I know a little bit more than you. Let me just put this onto mm -hmm. you. And, and I really just tried to take that away. Cause I think that I was also like that when I had kids earlier, I just felt like I knew what I was doing and I wanted to share that information with others. Now, how I approach it is, oh my gosh, I've gone through this. If you want to chat it through at all, please let me know. I'm not giving anything unsolicited, but I am offering support if somebody needs support. And I think that that I just really knowing how it can be a lot, like as mm -hmm. simple as I have like a car seat girl and she's like, text me anytime you're going to be sharing an image of a car seat because people will come on. Can you. I have her? <laughs> <sighs> she's, oh, she's safe in the seat. Michelle from safe in the seat. She's so great. She's so great. But like little tiny things that like, and I get it. People see it and they're like, this is your child's safety. You need to be knowing about this not recognizing that there could be so many nuances to this. Like, oh, we already got home. We, or we hadn't even tightened her straps yet. We're just at home, put her in the seat. She's not actually buckled. She's not in the car. All of these different things that like might be different or like it's different in Canada or, you know, all of these different things. It's things like, you know, we gave our daughter purees. That's what I'm comfortable doing with purees. And when I, it was funny because when I had my first three, you were like crunchy granola if you made your own baby food <laughs> and like the baby food aisles were like an entire aisle. And now it's like the section of an aisle and everything else is about like either baby led weaning or making your own purees. Yeah. And I'm like, it's getting 
it's, I actually think it's harder to be a parent. There's way too much information. There's no genuine winging it. And I think that that's was somewhat to uh, a lot of why I think I was less overwhelming before was because it was just a lot of figuring it out. You weren't having, you know, thousands of people telling you how to do it and having it contradict each other. Even straight from when I was pregnant, I discussed once about having a home birth and somebody said that I was basically selfish and and, and an attempted murderer. So I was like, well, I'm not sharing about having a home birth anymore. You know, you can kind of start to find these boundaries. So I've had to be like, hey, this is how, this is what works for feeding my baby. This is what makes me feel the most confident and what I know the most and that's purees and I'm entering into making them myself for the first time. I'm also doing pouches sometimes, you know, I'm doing whatever feels like it fits and my baby gets fed and that we're all healthy and happy. Overwhelming a mother is not the essential thing. So honestly, if somebody ever said to me, Hey, like I've gone down this path with feeding before or with like age gap. And I know Mm -hmm. how overwhelming it can be. If you need any support, I'm here. And those people who said things like that, was like relief feeling as opposed mm-hmm. to that's not what you should be doing. You're doing, there's better spoons than that. You should be doing a better job. Like babies don't like puree. Don't give them puree. They are pickier eaters. If they have puree, I'm like, Oh, fuck that. Like I've got three kids, all of them eat differently. And all of them started on the same types of food. So it is what it is. It's a lot of, and so I'm trying to, I'm trying to create boundaries for myself and understand my own capacity to take on all this new information and also just like give a lot of grace to the fact that we are in the age of information and people honestly don't even know their own. Like I said, when I was in my twenties and having kids, I would have spurted any type of information on anybody. It's just that you forget that you're one of like thousands of people who are probably mm-hmm. doing the same now. No, it's hard. And, and, you know, a lot of people do it in their well-intentioned, but then a lot of other people of do it and there's an air of superiority and mm. they want to be the keeper of the knowledge and gatekeep motherhood in some way. And it's, it's, it's fucked up and I, I hate it because it just contributes to mom guilt and that's something we all need to get away from because it's bullshit. Yeah. It serves nobody. It doesn't serve us. It doesn't serve our families, our kids, doesn't serve the community. Uh, but it's funny talking about feeding because like when I first – so with my first daughter, Lucy, we started – like she was eating steak at like seven months old, okay? Because that's all I knew. I just knew baby led weaning. My mom almost shit her pants when she came over for dinner one night <laughs> and saw her. And it's just – it changes. And then with my youngest, Betty, she is still eating like she's a year over a year now. And she's still on like the softest things just because she doesn't have many teeth. I don't feel comfortable. Yeah. And it's like there is so much nuance. There is so much nuance. And it, it, it does change so much. And, you know, you have the you have the two million followers. You have a massive following, Sarah. Like it's mm. no joke. I forget that. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's serious. Right. And that's that's a lot yeah. of people. That's a lot of opinions. But that weight is heavy, like you said, creating boundaries. But what do you do to – because you can create all the boundaries you want, but you're still going to have people telling you stuff, just mm-hmm. talking at you, right? So how mm-hmm. do you separate that from how you're feeling and stop it from ruining your day? Like, I would love to have an answer to that. <laughs> I, I'm, I am at my core a people pleaser. I don't do well when people are upset with me. It's a very toxic thing to have when you have a lot of followers. It's really hard to trust your own voice when you have a lot of voices giving input. But I think that at the end of the day, it's when when trolling happens or when well-intentioned things get said and they cause you that hiccup of your own thinking, ultimately 
it's going to suck in that moment. And I don't think that's ever going to change. I think it's going to suck in that moment, Mm -hmm. but I think where it gets better is when you get quiet with yourself again, and you remind yourself that you're, you know, not a bad person, that you're doing a really great job, that you are maybe not skilled in everything that everybody else is skilled in, that it's okay that you don't know everything, that it's okay that you suck sometimes. It's okay that you got something wrong. It's okay. All of it. Like when you know who you are at your core and you take time with her, I think that it can lend itself to remind you that you do still have value, even as an imperfect human or that other people's opinions of you is not the definition of who you are, but that they will come and they will always be there. And that's no different. That's not a social media thing. And I think we always want to blame social media. That's just the platform. You can't tell me you didn't sit at a family dinner and hear your uncle Jack say something about your outfit or have your friends tease you in middle school about things or tell you that you were wrong or dumb or laughed at you when you did your first poem reading in English class. Like you can't tell me that this stuff has never been around. It's amplified in new ways and it's with a lot less filters and a lot less protection for people and a lot of group and mass opinions that that can happen and can be displayed in such a way. But ultimately I just, have to remember who I am. And I think it's been really good to have good people around me who remind me of Mm -hmm. part of myself. I think it's also helped me to acknowledge that I do struggle with anxiety and people pleasing based on past experiences, based on feeling like I'm, there's a lot of, it's, I don't even know how to like coin it, but essentially being where I'm at now, I really wouldn't have expected to feel crappy if somebody were to like unfollow me or not like me or anything like that like how do you have this many followers and still struggle with the same things you struggled with at like 500 followers and Mm -hmm. it's just that that it's there and it's a lot of it is coming from the cycle of when you are you know good in people's eyes then good things can happen and when you're bad in somebody's eyes bad things can happen so I've had to really give myself a lot of grace that my anxiety can be loud your anxiety is there to protect you your anxiety is there in a protective space so a lot of times when I feel anxious online I, I just have to come to recognize it's because I don't know what will be safe to say anymore. I don't know what's safe to do or be. And even understanding that as simple as feeding my baby a spoon of food might cause a reaction and might cause negativity. Mm -hmm. It's no wonder that this anxiety exists. So I, but I, I, I love what I do. I love, I've been storytelling about the kids in our family since they were babies. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this for 13 years now. So it is such an extension of me. I have no plans on stopping that. It's also probably what got me through some of the hardest things and also sometimes, you know, tore me down at the same time. But I think that coming back into just doing it because I love it, storytelling, but you're sharing our lives because it's just an extension of what I've Mm -hmm. always done with my life. And just, you know, being okay with the fact that it's not always going to be well received by everyone. And that's an impossible standard to have. Like there's that one saying like, don't expect everyone to like you. You don't even like everyone. And I'm like, it's so true. Like, why do I have like this standard set on myself and this absolutely draining, exhausting, you know, it's never going to work out to be this way and to be that kind of person for myself. I would never want that for my friends. I wouldn't want it for my kids. I wouldn't want it for anybody that I loved. And yet I set these same standards on myself. And so it's not easy. 
And I think that it doesn't matter what your number is. It doesn't matter how big it gets and it can still be there. And I think it's really, it's really important to honor your capacity with it all and know when it's, know when it's worth sharing and know when it's not. And when it's okay to call it and be like, I don't have capacity to talk about this subject because I don't want to deal with the reactions of it. Or my anxiety is spiking too much for me to be able to talk about this right now. Maybe I'll post it at a time when I do have that capacity to take it on. And you know, the things you talk about too, I mean, for the past 13 years, they're incredibly personal and intimate things. Like you're talking about your family, you're talking about your relationship with your body and how that's changed. And Do you feel like after having Lemmy and being thrust into postpartum again, do you feel like you are more well-equipped to deal with the insecurities that brings, even though it's up and down, there's good days and bad days, do you feel more well-equipped this time around than you were before, or is there not much of a difference? I think that no matter what you're doing in life, it doesn't mean that the challenges aren't there and they won't present themselves in different ways and in in different viewpoints, but along the way you do collect tools. And I think that's, that's essentially it. It's not that right now I have less body issues or less like people pleasing tendencies and stuff like that. I've always had those. Mm -hmm. They've always been there. They've repeated themselves in different forms throughout my life. Now I'm just better at processing and journeying through them in a lesser amount of time instead of like a long journey, it it can happen in quicker time because it's, it's not that the struggles are, I'm any different. It's that I've learned more tools to cope. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's where the hope lies for everyone is like, it's not to say that, like, I mean, it's like when you worry about money and you had no money and suddenly you have like a thousand dollars in your bank account and you're like, why am I so worried about money? And you're like, well, that it's not that worry doesn't necessarily go away because you have money, but maybe now you have the tools to process why you're scared. Maybe you learn more. Maybe you go through these different conversations with different people and you understand maybe you don't learn your capacity until you've gone over it. Like that's Mm -hmm. a huge one for a lot of people. Maybe you don't know your boundaries until you've had someone identify it for you. We honestly have to allow ourselves a lot of growth time and a lot of room for growing those tools. I I think that the the challenges will continue to come. It's not that we're ever going to get like amazing at anything. And I think, you know, 15 years ago, I probably had very few tools and very little access to help and support. And now I'm in a position where I've learned a lot more tools and I still struggle, but I have more access to support and more ability to understand what, how to process. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, you know, we, we talked about how motherhood has changed, like kind of from when you had your first three to Lemmy yeah. now, but, you know, in, in more of a, of a way of the things that like kind of get us annoyed and get us frustrated, like the overload of information, the millions of people in your ear mm-hmm. for some of us. But uh, in what way do you find, if at all, that the paradigm of motherhood is like changing a, in a more positive way, if, mm. if you notice that? Back when I started blogging, it was because I was in the pits of motherhood and mm-hmm. lonely. I did it because I wanted to be connected into this blogosphere of other parents who were sharing their stories and sharing their journeys. And I thought, I just want to be a part of this. I don't want to feel so alone. I was living far away from family. And, you know, the birth of Facebook, people can curse it till the day comes home. It saved my life. Like it saved my life. I, I finally got to see what family was doing, have an opportunity to share my daughter who is now growing, my daughters who is growing, you know, away from our family unit and my friends and just keep up on everything and keep up on life to know now, like something as simple as um, placenta previa or, you know, being sick when you're pregnant 
that you can find that you're not always going to be able to walk around your neighborhood and find people going through the same things, but you can find them on social media. You can find support. You can find other people who have gone through it or people who are going through it at the same time with you. The camaraderie that you can find within social media now and really finding that support mm-hmm. in new places and just ultimately as simple as being up at night and nursing and being able to watch stories and read memes. Like, I think that really helps. I really, really do. I think as it may also cause damage, but I don't think it's going anywhere. So I do think that there is tools to be learned, I will say, but I think that there's a lot of beauty in what social media can do and the bridges it creates. If you look at all the changes in our society in the last five to 10 years, look at the roots of them. I know a lot of times people are like, these things have been said for centuries and I'm sure they have been, but was there ever a platform that was run by the voices themselves instead of like, think about it. Like the magazine industry has changed. Television industry has changed. Branding has changed. Like it is just an incredible thing to see that the power of social media and, and what it can do and knowing that we all have a voice there and nobody can take that away from us. Everyone now has the opportunity to, to speak and share and create community with someone else. And I think that that is one of the reasons why I have kept up with staying in my DMS and comments for half of my working day for the last 13 years. That's incredible. I, yeah, I can't get to everyone, but at least Mm -hmm. I'm there. At least I'm part of it. At least I'm in the community that I've built over Mm -hmm. the last decade and bit And I think that's important. I think that that, and it's been good for me too. I might get the occasional message that I'm like, well, that sucked. (laughs) But for the most part, it's like, I will never be alone again. Like I have so many people to chat with and so many people to watch and follow. We have access to people like we've never had it before and it it can be a double-edged sword, but there's a lot of beauty to it. And I think that I'm, I, I, I see that side of it. I I think that we do have control over what we view and what we experience. And so knowing that we can kind of hop onto an app when we need it, like an Instagram or a Facebook or a blog, and then not access those when we don't need it. I think it's, I think it's a really cool, I think we're in a really cool time And I love being able to relate to, especially moms, because I think there, it is hard when at the end of the day, you are covered in one of the three P's it's either pee poop or puke, like at all times, it's really nice to see that you're not the only one covered in one of the three P's. It's nice to see other moms also covered in a little bit of vomit, which is why like, I think I vomited on my bra today. And I was like, you know what, I took pictures of that. I didn't even, I was like, whatever, like. (laughs) God, I'm exhausted. Like you want me to change my bra too? Like, no, I'm not doing my laundry to, or like blurring this out for like the appeasement of people. This is actual life. And the more people who understand that we're all being shit on half the day, quite literally, it just makes you feel a little, it lets you laugh about it. I think it lets us laugh about it. Let's just have a good time. Think about even TikTok, the rise of TikTok in the last year. You can't tell me that, you know, struggling through a pandemic, being at home by yourself, the comedy that came out of this last year, the pure entertain, we were entertained. The TikTokers, they entertained us. They're They're worth their weight in gold worth their weight in gold entertain us through this you know and you guys are great at it too you guys do the funniest reels I I love and you're really good at like the the, a lot of the judgments that come across but yeah like it's it's really it's nice to be entertained Mm -hmm. to feel seen and to feel heard within you know this this 
app on a phone. It's so fun. What a wild world. It's so fun. And I was going to say, I love meme, meme scrolling. Like my kids, I, I'm in no rush yeah. to get them sleeping through the night because it's just not possible for me. How's it going to be possible for them? So like when I'm up at 3 a.m. still with my 13-month-old, I'm scrolling yeah. memes. I'm loving every freaking second of it, like howling to yes. myself in the corner while my husband sleeps. And just, it's fun. It's like a part it of my fun. daily routine. And it's good in TikTok through that. Like we were so late to even like watching stuff. Yeah. It's like the best. People it's are the best. so entertaining. Genius. People like, are geniuses. Genius. Right? And it's such a cool time that like literally anybody can do it. Like anybody, anybody can do this. Mm -hmm. It used to be that you had to have like really high end equipment. You had to have like $2,500 to start a blog. You had to like do all these things. And now it's like, do you have a phone? Then you can do this. Like, and people are just learning things. And, and so there's a lot of self-taught out there. Mm -hmm. Some people who are like born and raised dancers and whatnot, but a lot of people who are just genuine, like I look at someone like an Alicia McCarvel and I'm like, you were just somebody who's funny as fuck. And only the people in your relational world ever saw it. And then you started recording it and you do this every day. And now you have like 3 million followers on TikTok. Like, what is your world? You already existed. Now we just get to see it. And it, that didn't change, but like the learning skill of like learning how to do a TikTok or learning how to do yeah. reels. Like someone said to me recently, they're like, I think it's uh, like, how did you get yourself to like start doing reels? Like I I'm so freaked out by, it. I'm like, Oh girl, like I suck at them. Like I'm so shitty. And I love that because it means I'm only going to get better. Like every, everything sucks yes. at first. Like there yes. was this one girl who did a reel is like sucking is the first step to being good at something. And I was like, that's exactly it. Like, it's okay to suck at this yes. guys. Like you weren't, you you know what? Like if you take like even the magazine industry or the film industry, mm -hmm. do you know how many people are involved? Like a model, a stylist, a creative director, the, you know, the videographer, the photographer, you know, the copywriter, the editor. I'm like, you're doing all those things and putting pressure on yourself that you're not great. Like, come on, come on. Like a single image you see on Instagram, we scroll through and we're like double tap, scroll. that's probably took somebody like four to eight hours. Like let's be realistic. It's, it's a lot. And we're just scrolling through. We watch it. We watch a TikTok and we're like, ha 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 ha, tap, tap. And that's like probably 20 hours of production time. Like, let's be real. It's not, it's not simple, but it's very cool to see how many people are going into this realm of like teaching themselves how to, you know, by sucking in order to mm -hmm. be good at something. No, I love it. You know, okay, it reminds me of the summer. I don't know if you ever did it. Pokemon Go. Do you remember? What year was it? Like 2016, 2017? I don't know. But it's like it the way the world... magic. Yeah. And it's like people come together. It's like you're walking around. I mean, nobody's walking around and bumping into friends now because of COVID and all that crap. But like, you know, you're walking around bumping into people. People are all doing the same thing. And that's kind of what I feel like TikTok is. It's like, I mean, you know, there's bad TikToks and everything too that kind of divide people. There's always going to yeah. be that. But TikTok reminds me of that like Pokemon Go unity when it's like everybody's dancing together and it's so fun it's so fun but yeah. i love it and like the common sounds and things like that yes. and like you have to remember people will be like oh my god i can't believe you're doing this who the fuck cares did you want to do this because clearly you stepped into it like we all get there like i can't i have zero coordination like i did like the doom doom do, 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 and it took me like 52 tries like 52 tries it took me to do it but i was like i am going to get this right now like it's so fun to push yourself into doing something even mm -hmm. if you're like whatever and what's cool about tiktok is anything has the ability to be viral there's no predictability to it so like throw up a video you never know when you think about 2020 and like probably the biggest video of 2020 was 
um, the guy who is on a skateboard and then he picks dog up face. the cranberry dog face. Dog face, yeah. I looked at my husband and I said, there is something about this video. I was on like the first day. It started to really go rolling. And I'm like, but there is such a subtle joy to this, but everybody in the world feels it when yes. they see him pick up that cranberry juice and drink it. That just, and he, when he starts to sing and you're just like, oh my gosh, it was a joy. I think that we really needed in 2020. And he has a whole career now built out of like that one video, but that's, what's so neat is like, it was so simple. And he probably could have looked at it and been like, this is so dumb. Like mm-hmm. who am I lip syncing, like to a song, like drinking I know. cranberry. He could have gone through that process. So like, I think for everyone, I just want people to remember, like, you don't know what mm-hmm. could ever be a thing and you don't know what's coming up. If you thought it was funny, post it, even if it's not, if you thought it was magical, post it, even if it's not, who cares? Like at the end of the day, you might have somebody who finds that common factor with you. And is like, mm-hmm. actually that was like, I find things like sometimes I think the stupidest things are so funny. And I'm like, probably nobody will laugh at this, but then you just never know. Like, you know you, people, why not just post it? Cause you like it. Yes. It's not going to hurt anybody. And honest to God, there will always be somebody else. Like 100%, there will, well, you know, 99% of the time, there will be at least one other person for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But Sarah, thank you truly so, so much for sitting down with me today. I've had the nicest time. Yeah. And like what I love about these Zoom calls now is that like I, I, we're starting to see people more, but it's still not the same. So it's like such a nice yeah. social thing for me. I know. Leave the kids outside or in their room, wherever the hell my husband <laughs> has them right now. And it's like a nice chance for me to get away in a really hot room and chat with somebody. So yeah, thank you thank so much. Thank you so and much. Where can people go? I mean, I'm sure everybody's following you on Instagram, but to listen to your podcast, to find out anything else you're doing, where can they go to find you online? Yeah. So the birth supply is probably the, on Instagram is like my wheelhouse. That's where you'll see the most of me. Instagram stories are where mm-hmm. I live the most. I am on TikTok. Uh, TikTok. <laughs> it works. It works. And I'm on the tickety talk. Uh, <laughs> I'm at the birds dot papaya I don't know there's like dots between it I have my podcast the papaya podcast I have a iPhone editing app called the pink papaya app it's free to use as well um but yeah if you head on over to Instagram at the birds papaya everything's pretty much there and will lead you to anywhere that you seek to go hell yeah well Sarah truly thank you thank you so much good job Alex thank you thank you it was odd Shane I had you there with me the first time we interviewed her and I, I was hoping that we'd both be able to do it, but of course, I you know, I think it went well. I, I had a lot of fun keeping the mic to myself because I did feel like maybe we're kind of friends this time, and it was nice talking to her by myself and just kind of shooting the S. Well, I'm in over my head in a lot of these interviews. <laughs> a lot of times I was just there so you could think of your really smart, well-articulated question, and I would just be like, duh, filling space Bulbas. and time. <laughs> What'd you say? Vulvas. I don't know. We were talking Vulvas. about birth. We were talking uh, about birth and postpartum. Okay. Let's get to our next <laughs> interview, though. Who is this next interview? All right. So we are talking to Michelle Chubb, who is, you know, you probably know as Indigenous Batty. And again, we're going to talk about her experience with her culture growing up, what it was like to be Indigenous in Canada, which, as we know, is full of inequality and racism um, and her thoughts on becoming a soon-to-be new mom. But before we get to this interview, let's let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. And that spelling of breast in My Breast Friend is B-R-E-S. 
S-T, no A. No A. For more than 25 years, my breast friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. Lactation consultants around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and way more comfortable feeding cycles than they even thought possible. Shane and I can both attest to this. I mean, I'm sure even Nona and Babcha can attest to this as having, you know, bottle fed both of our children. It really is the only nursing pillow that I've ever gone for. And we have a few sitting upstairs. I just don't use them anymore. I never Everyone's did. Everyone's attesting to that. <laughs> that was but, a lot of buildup. For- <laughs> no, it's the best. It's the best. But truly, it is the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. You can purchase My Breast Friend online at buybybaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, and amazon.com. You mentioned it had a cup holder? Oh, it has a little cup holder or a cell phone holder, whatever you want to use it as. It's like the Mercedes-Benz of breast pillows. Agreed. And now let's get to our interview with Michelle. Well, Michelle, thank you so, so much for coming on this Family Tree podcast today. I've been really looking forward to talking to you. Became obsessed with your TikTok many, many, like a year ago, I guess, when you really started taking over. Uh, I started following you and I might say her name wrong. I've never heard her say her name, but Sheena? Shina Nova, Nova. (laughs) like so great. You guys are amazing. And what I love so much about what you do and on TikTok, on Instagram, you educate, you talk about your own vulnerabilities and you are entertaining and you are so creative and it's all of that at the same time. And that's all under Indigenous Fatty. So listeners, you have to go check Michelle out and see what she does. But really, I I so admire everything that you've done. And you are so young. And I'm kind of jealous. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a roller coaster for me ever since I like started TikTok. Um, a lot for me has changed. And I'm excited for more to come in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, so much your whole TikTok, really, your platform is based on sharing your experience as an Indigenous woman in Canada. You're in Winnipeg, right? Yes. Okay. It's about sharing that culture and that part of you and also addressing the, you know, everything that's wrong with it and how the inequities in the system and everything that, you know, has been unfolding, especially in the greater picture of things for a lot of Canadians that didn't know about residential schools. And I think a lot of people are coming to you and to accounts like yours to learn more. But were you always so, you know, deeply connected with your culture? Like, did, is that how you grew up? Basically, yeah, I've been, I've been really connected ever since I was little. My grandparents were the ones who taught me all about my culture. Uh, Every time I would go visit them in the browse, I've been to a lot of ceremonies. I've been to powwows. And it's all an experience you have to just experience personally and in life. It's really, yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> so Michelle, you know, you, you mentioned that you are so, you've been deeply connected with your culture, you know, your whole life, like from growing up. But is that something that you always felt comfortable displaying, talking about when you were outside of the Indigenous community? I kind of kept it a secret. Like, I remember this one instance when I was with my school friends at the time. Uh, we were all at, talking about how we pronounce grandma. They were all saying how they say grandma. And then when they asked me, I was like, I say gookum. 
and they all kind of like looked at me and said like that sounds weird (laughs) so I was like all right so was that like one of the first instances where you thought oh okay like we come from different places oh yeah for sure um I kind of knew since like a young age that's why I was like so kind of like I felt kind of an outcast a lot growing up I felt different to the other people around me. Um, I just kind of knew they didn't know the same stuff that I knew. And it's just kind of hard to connect with other people with that kind of stuff. What do you mean the same stuff that you knew? The same experiences that, that I experienced since a young child, like ceremonies, powwows, mm-hmm. the res life, being Native. But yeah, just like all those experiences just made me feel indifferent. Okay. Okay. Like in, indifferent, indifferent to what, like your, like your heritage or indifferent to kind of their thoughts about everything? I feel like it was more indifferent of like how they would perceive me as a person. Mm. Cause I, I feel like they would have just felt, I don't know, just like me. I, I would always feel like they wouldn't see me as a person. Okay. Yeah. So, and instead just as something that is different from what they were I guess yeah okay and did you live in the city then or on a res well it was kind of back and forth up until I was five I would move in between my parents reserves I would go to Bunabonabi Cree Nation or Pemichikmak where my mom is from and we would like move back and forth and then my parents decided to move to the city in the south end and that's where I grew up most of my time but in the summers, I would visit my mom's res. Mm-hmm. I've been to powwows in southern Ontario a few times. We used to go camping in this one territory up north. I forget what it's called. We were, I was so little. But they were always so amazing. And it was incredible to watch everybody dancing and singing and seeing you now doing those dances and like in your jingle dress. It's I, I haven't seen anything like that since I was young. And is that, was that okay that we were going and go, going to powwows? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. Um, as long as you're respecting the grounds and people. Mm-hmm. Also, there's like no alcohol, drugs allowed. So is that a rule for everybody because it's like, it's a, a religious uh, spiritual ceremony? Uh, yeah, pretty much. It's basically a ceremony of when you're like dancing and you're, like healing mm-hmm. the, yourself and the people around you. So it's like really spiritual. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think about spirituality and connection and just being conne- so connected to your culture that you really integrate it into every part of your life and for you on social media and your platform. And you're really taking up a space that it was so vital because at least from my perspective, and I wasn't looking for it, but I never saw Indigenous representation. And do you find that that hole is being filled slowly? Do you find that there is more representation out there now that more people can kind of control what goes on the internet? Or I've seen a big difference since last year when I first started. I know when I first started TikTok, there wasn't many Indigenous creators. Mm-hmm. Like I remember Sherry and like Beelin. But like, other than that, there wasn't many. 
And then that's when I started to make my own content to embrace indigenous people to come up more and like be themselves and embrace their own skin. Since the year progressed, a lot more indigenous people started coming out and showing off their talents. And it's really cool to see, mm-hmm. see that. Oh, it's amazing. And, you know, for me, like it, I, I just think about how different it is. Uh, I look like everybody else in Western culture, like literally no difference. So for me, it's not hard to find myself represented in TV, movies, books, whatever, in happy ways, in joyful ways, in ways that like kind of raise me up, you know? And because of that, I think it was very easy for me to find role models, not only like in media and on TV, but in everyday life at my schools, like within my own community. And I, I, I want to ask you, did you have role models growing up? Who were they? And was it easy for you to kind of reach out within your community, you know, to find people to look up to? To be honest, for like famous role models, I only heard of like Buffy St. Marie. Uh, she's the <laughs> only one that I've known growing up. But other than her, my my role models models were like people in my family, my aunties, my my gugum, my mom, they were like the biggest role models in my life. And I try to cherish that. Mm-hmm. And Kokum is your grandmother, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. What is grandfather? Uh, Mosham. Oh, I like this. Yeah. They're nice. Okay. Okay. So you, you had strong family ties then growing up and they kind of like just passed on their knowledge to you. Uh, yeah, basically. And we share a lot of stories when we get together and like, there was there would be a time where I would spend Christmases at my my mushroom and Gotham's house on the res and we would have a feast and then my mushroom always had wisdom to talk about. And we would always just like be quiet and just like listen and hear what he says. Cause he always has something new to say every time we see him. And I feel really grateful to have that kind of knowledge coming from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially him being like a residential school survivor, the only one in his family. And yeah, just knowing that he's like a strong man and taking on his knowledge feels mm-hmm. great. No, that's that's so incredible. And I mean, for anybody, especially somebody who's a part of a mar- marginalized population to have that, just that it's not ancestral if he's still alive he's still there but just to have that person that you can see that has already gone through all the trials and the shit that you're going through and that you're probably complaining about and to see them come out successful on the other side is huge is huge and I actually I read that that he passed a few years ago or maybe many years Uh, ago yeah in 2006 Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was very close with my grandmother and uh, she likewise passed on so much to me. It was always after like a lot of vodka for her. She was a Polish, Polish refugee. <laughs> so she went through different stuff, but uh, she was like that for me. And it was always so helpful for me to just see what she had done with her life. And it kind of, it just always filled me with just hope and self-confidence to just see somebody that's directly related to you, just be there for you. Now, Michelle, when I watch your TikToks, you know, like some of them I'll be laughing 
whatever, because they're hilarious. Others, I'm just staring at you in awe because it's gorgeous and your dancing's amazing and the beadwork and the jingle dress, everything is just beautiful. And then other things, they, they obviously hit me emotionally, which I assume is the intent. And I wanted to ask you about a specific video that I saw. And it was you, like, it was a green screen background of like a forest. And you said, me, four years old, you know, like trying to be cool on the res, like smoking weed. <laughs> is this, is that a real thing? Did that happen? Um, <laughs> yeah, that did happen. I remember specifically, I was the one who stole all this stuff. <laughs> four <from> years my- <laughs> Yeah, I was the one who stole all the stuff that we needed. Um, I guess they asked me to like steal them because like no one would mm-hmm. know. And like I remember, we went into the bushes. It was me, my brothers, and my cousins. Mm-hmm. And we we all sat in the circle. And I guess my brothers started to like spark it. <laughs> like they were passing it around, and then like it came to me. I was like. Yeah, I was like kind of choking, but you know, not everyone, every little kid has that experience, but um, I'm not proud of it. But you know, it happens. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that it is important sometimes to talk about. I mean, if you feel comfortable doing so. And I, I was so amazed because that is a vulnerable part of life. And that is something, like you said, it's like, oh, I'm not proud of it, but it happened. And Though I'd say the majority of people have not done that, for those that have and for those that have had similar experiences, they're going to look at that and say, thank God, like it wasn't just me. It wasn't just my family and I can relate to that. And I think that can be so healing. And I want to ask about your relationships and the the connections that you make through social media. Is it a lot of that, like healing together, or is it a lot of like people kind of like celebrating with you? Because it seems very positive. Like when I read through all your comments, everything seems overwhelmingly positive and joyful. To be honest, I try to just make content for the indigenous people because mm-hmm. I know when I was like growing up watching YouTube, just watching other people <laughs> live their lives, and it's kind of like that's weird. I I haven't experienced that. But, like, it's pretty cool to be able to have experiences with my own people. Like, for instance, like smoking. I know a lot of uh, natives, like, laughed at it and said me too. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cool that I can make that kind of content so my community can relate to and also heal at the same time. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think that is so important. I read in an article, I think you did, because you've been everywhere lately. Sorry, like you've been in Fashion Magazine, you are in Sephora, a Sephora campaign. And what was it, Teen? Was it Teen Vogue that I was reading? And you said that you were underestimated a lot growing up. And I wanted to ask, you know, who would underestimate you? In what ways were you underestimated? I was underestimated a lot by my my peers. Mm. Some teachers would like belittle me. And it's kind of like, it's not straight up racism, but it's like a silent racism, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. That would happen to me a lot. And you just like kind of get fed up with it when you get older and you kind of want to change that narrative for Indigenous people. So that's what kind of 
happened for me. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like, I mean, you're a force now, right, on social media. And you have this huge platform to espouse your views. And I think that is so amazing. And I think that that is helping to change the narrative. And, you know, within your friends, your family, your community, uh, is the feedback that you get, is everyone supportive? Mostly everyone is supportive. I know a lot of my family are really happy with what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they come to me and like give me some video ideas, <laughs> uh, which is really helpful because <laughs> sometimes I do get like a like a blockage. And I don't yeah. really know what to post. Yeah, content creation's hard, man. It's like you you have to keep doing it. You've been doing it for over a year now. Like that's a lot of stuff to put out. <laughs> yeah, it does get overwhelming but you do take some self-care and like just like sit back and relax sometimes just for you to like recharge but yeah overall I've been getting positive of course there'll be like some negative people who are like out to get you (laughs) but that obviously doesn't matter because what you're doing is changing the world and the perspectives of other people so okay let's talk about that changing the world though Michelle so tell me, <laughs> tell me about these opportunities that you've been taking, because they're incredible. Like, tell me about the, the Sephora campaign, because those photos are, they're stunning. They're so stunning. <laughs> yeah, I was really taken back when I read the first email there, when I was asked to model. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to reread the email like twice. And I finally like replied back and say, oh, yeah. Of course, I'll take this opportunity. It's like, I'm not going to turn down an awesome opportunity. <laughs> and then, yeah, when the shooting happened, I didn't know Shino was going to be there, um, which was really cool and like a surprise. Because had you fo- had you been following her? Like you knew who she yeah, was and everything? Following, yeah, we were following each other and talking for a bit. I was really surprised when I seen her in Toronto I think she posted something on her Snapchat. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> are you in Toronto, too? And then she's like, oh, my God, you, too? And then she's like, for what? And I was like, Sephora. She's like, me, too. And then, like, later that day, we met. And when we saw each other, we were, like, talking to each other. We were, like, up all up until, like, 1 o'clock talking <laughs> to each other. <laughs> And then we had like the photo shoot the next morning and it was a cool experience. Like the first time I've ever experienced a big photo shoot like that. Mm-hmm. And I felt really proud and honored to be picked and chosen, especially out of all the other people they could have had, could have chosen. <laughs> but yeah, I, it was just a really cool experience that I wish everyone in my community can experience mm-hmm. I, I can't say of all the people they could have chosen because Michelle, they chose well. Like you, you have also been <laughs> named. Was it one of the most influential? Is that what it was? I think so. What top twenty? Yes, top twenty women in Canada. Yes, yes, yeah. they chose well. All right, you got to You have to ride that wave of success because they chose well. You need to own that. You know, I think, <laughs> I think women in general are, we're very good at owning our failures and the things that we do wrong and the ways that we don't live up to our own expectations of ourselves. And we're very quick to jump on that. And I find that, again, for women in general, we are 
slower at like accepting the positive things that we do and the ways that we shine and like you totally shine in that way. <laughs> so please <laughs> accept that. And they chose the right person. And you actually appeared in a, a magazine spread recently with one of uh, another podcast guests that we've had, Ashley Calling Bowl for Fashion Magazine. So what was that like? Oh, that was really cool. I honestly didn't think it was going to be in a printed magazine. I thought they were just going to like post it on their website. But <laughs> yeah, I got an email for that also asking if I wanted to be interviewed for Fashion Canada. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll do that. And then they asked me a few questions. And then after that, I didn't hear from them for a bit. And then I kind of just seen Fashion Canada. I forgot who posted about it. I think it was Ashley. Mm-hmm. And she's like showing the pictures and stuff. And I saw me and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like super surprised seeing that. And I was like, oh my God, I got to get myself a, an issue for uh, myself. Wait, they didn't just send you one? <laughs> no. You have to take that off with the magazine. They should be sending you an issue. <laughs> No, I bought myself one at the grocery store. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of fun thing though too, because then you could go pay for it and essentially show the cashier that you are in it. That's kind of cool. <laughs> so that that is really awesome, and it seems like um, you know you said that you and China had been talking before you guys did the Sephora shoot, but it seems like with a few Indigenous Canadian content creators. Like, you guys kind of have, like, a team going on. Like, I see you tagging each other. Um, James Jones, I forget his his handle. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, Notorious Yes, Cree. Notorious Cree. So, <laughs> like, I, I, I see you guys kind of tagging each other or um, getting inspired by each other's videos. So, do you have conversations about that? Like, hey, I think it would be all great if we did something about this or to this TikTok sound and we all kind of did our own take to it like is there any conversation there or you just kind of you know riff (laughs) off each other uh no we honestly don't really talk to each other there's no like group chat yeah we just basically see each other's TikToks and just go for that (laughs) well that's cool and I have to say I I saw on your Instagram a couple days ago congratulations but you are you're pregnant right you put that out there so I'm not I'm not breaking any news you've already broken that news but truly congratulations that is that is so exciting how do you feel it was really hard to keep it from the supporters it was really hard I was like trying to make videos like to show my stomach (laughs) and it felt really it felt really good and a lot of weight came off my shoulders Mm -hmm. and I'm really glad I did that and now I can make like content for pregnancy stuff and like baby content oh it's fun content it's fun (laughs) so how far along are you I'm about 23 weeks now oh my gosh you're over the halfway point (laughs) that's so exciting (laughs) see I didn't know if you were gonna say you were like three months in whatever so you're over the first trimester so you are I mean, I hope you're feeling better. Like, are you physically? How are you? How are you doing? Physically, it's kind of it's kind of hard to like get over that my body's changing, but I also have have to have that mindset that like my body's growing a baby, and sometimes I do miss my old body, but 
I cherish more that I'm carrying a baby and like making a baby inside me and that makes me like happy. <laughs> no, I absolutely. So I, I have two kids. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, Betty and Lucy. And, you know, I, I got pregnant with Lucy when I was 28, had her when I was 29. And that was, like you said, getting used to your body changing and everything and having to remind yourself that's because you're making a baby. That was hard. It was harder the first time around for me. The second time around, I had a better mindset. But the first time, it really did throw me for a loop and it fucked me up a little bit. And I'd have to always remind myself of that. But, you know, I was you're you're 23 yeah I'm 23 so I was a little bit older than you and I think that already naturally in my life I was getting a little bit better at just kind of shedding these expectations for myself to be a certain way anyway but when I was 23 I was very vain I was very very vain and that would have been that would have been really hard for me. So who what's your support like? Like who are you reaching out cuz you already sound more wise than I was at 28 having a baby. <laughs> Honestly, I just take my wisdom from my family. Growing up, I, I was around babies a lot. So I would babysit a lot. <laughs> Even like changing diapers or like feeding them with a bottle. So that really helped. Mm-hmm. Just like taking back what I learned in the past and also my granny my gugum she like helps me a lot and my auntie she didn't recently have a baby her like daughter is like five six no wait seven years old <laughs> and yeah I, she tells me some things and helps me out also no, that's, that's the best you need that like it's it's really hard and um for me I leaned into online community a lot during that time for me because none of my friends had had kids yet. Uh, I had a cousin who had a kid like a few years before, but even in a few years, things change a lot. So I really leaned into online communities when I got pregnant and like, thank God for that because it it helped me so much and it helped me kind of keep my head, stop myself from worrying, getting nervous. And I mean, there's still, there's still so much of that, but I think it helped, it helped to mitigate those things. And I want to ask, so when you, when I think about motherhood and it looks so different in different cities, different cultures, different heritage, what does motherhood mean to you? And do you think that there's anything unique to being a Cree mother that, you know, wouldn't be necessarily common knowledge? Honestly, Maybe just like passing down the culture and knowledge down to my baby. And all I think of like is passing down the culture and knowledge that I know down to my baby. And just being able to be that teacher for my child to be humble, kind, and just respectful human being. All right, Michelle, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs make the best nursing bras that you can get your hands on. However, they don't just stop there. I mean, I got introduced to them because, you know, they were a nursing bra maker and they made the best one. So I fell in love with them, started using them. But now they have an everyday collection. So these bras have no clips. They're not just for nursing mothers and anybody can wear them, but they have the same like amazing comfort 
for your boobs. They are just, they're truly supportive, truly beautiful. And you hear us every week, you know, Shane and I both love them. Shane, the big bra connoisseur. But I checked out the reviews online and get this. They got a 4.8 out of 5 on well.ca after 26,990 reviews. Basically, 27,000 people love this bra as much as I do. And that is huge. Okay, you got to believe that you got to go for this. Check them out. So you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com. Or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use our promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off your whole order. That is a huge bang for your buck. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. But we are also supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. First and best. First and best. <laughs> I know I always say it, but I have to. It is it is the best. And it's crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories. And Seedlip Spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the day, the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. But now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, so you got Spice 94, which we had tonight, Garden 108, and Grow 42 are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. And perfect, by the way, if you're pregnant. Perfect if you're pregnant. Love the alliteration, Shane. Or the supportive husband who's not drinking because he's supporting the wife who's, that's what I did. I didn't drink alcohol while you were pregnant. Yeah. And that's how you and I became like actually obsessed. obsessed. (laughs) So as I said, you can just pair it with Splash Tonic or, you know, the cocktail Shane and I made tonight, the Coconella, it was beautiful. And you can find those recipes in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at seedlip underscore na. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree10, you're getting 10% off of your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. Again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and thisfamilytree10. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And now let's get back to our interview with Michelle. Is there one aspect of your culture that you're most excited to pass down to them, whether it is, you know, like making a certain dish, doing a certain ceremony, just learning a certain piece of history? Oh, yeah. There's like a lot I I want to like show my baby, of course, like powwows. Uh, I want to make sure my my baby is a pow dancer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and just like, like my baby has like long hair is like one of the most ones that I want and also uh, traditional wear like little moccasins a little ribbon skirt or ribbon shirt <laughs> and also ceremonies so what what kind of ceremonies would you involve you know start involving your baby with when he or she gets here honestly you can't really do that much only when they're starting to be a toddler. I'm sure there's a, like a ceremony for babies, but growing up, I haven't been involved in one of, in one of them. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know much about baby ceremonies if there are. Yeah. And, you know, what aspects of your own childhood? I, I always like to ask people about how their own past influences what they're going to be like or what they are like as a parent. Uh 
and because we're all a mixture of things, good and bad, that we take from our parents, our friends, our siblings, the people around us. So what is something that you want to pass on to your kid from your own childhood, uh, like an experience, and then maybe something that you want to avoid doing? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep question. I know, I know for me growing up, uh, just being a free spirit, I know I want to pass down that to my child. I don't want to be like super strict. I also want them to love themselves, to be able, again, to power dance, just like, like I did, to be able to learn uh, the Cree uh, language, to be able to like run around in the res. That would be cool for my <laughs> child. I know it's really fun. Yeah, I think those are what I want my child to do. But I know growing up, there was a lot of harsh things that happened that I don't want my child to experience that I experience. But yeah, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's fine. That's fine. And, you know, I think that for a, a lot of us, and of course, you, you're in a unique position because we know that the life and what the government, the money that the government does not put into life on reservations, like severely impacts the quality of life for the people there. And if you're for those listening who aren't aware of this, because we have a lot of American listeners and sometimes they think this myth about Canada, how we don't have inequality as bad as they do. But I think the the suicide rate for Indigenous youth is like six times the rate for, you know, um, white youth in Canada. Um, drugs and alcohol is prevalent. And what was the other stat? I had I had another stat here, Michelle. Hold on. Let me see. Oh, yeah. So more Indigenous children are in the foster care system, even though they make up such a small portion of our of our population. And it's essentially residential schooling hasn't stopped. It's just changed form. It's changed from residential schools to, to kind of foster care. And it's still just taking indigenous babies from families. And, and that's, that's tough. And I, I hope that those listening who are hearing this for the first time, that you can go and read up on that and learn from it, follow Michelle, follow Shina, and, you know, enlighten, enlighten yourself. And I think a lot of Canadians have only been learning that for the first time too. But I wanted to mention because you said you wanted your you want your baby to grow up loving themselves. And I think that for me, if I look back at my youth and something that I'm trying to really teach my daughters, I have two girls, is to love themselves. And we're trying to never mention body weight, use the word pretty, anything like that in front of them, because we're trying to allow for them not to put value in how they look. And that's become super important to me and my husband. And I wanted your take on that as, as a younger woman. Because again, for me, it took me into my 30s to start realizing this stuff. But you're young. However, you are going to be a mom. So it's like you're approaching that kind of wisdom much sooner than I did. So what, what's your take on that? Using words like pretty and kind of devaluing looks. I think that's a pretty good start, honestly. Because in mainstream media, there's like a very strict, it's very strict how to look pretty. A lot of people generalize how you look pretty, uh, how to look pretty. 
and it does get annoying, but we are in a new generation where we're trying to fix that. And I know it's really different from when I grew up. So I'm really proud of this generation to start changing the narrative for society, basically. Oh, absolutely. And Michelle, you're you're helping to pave the way in that. And again, like I, I so commend that. And for listeners that want to go and, you know, want to check you out, want to see what you do, follow you, where can they go to find you on all your socials? I'm on TikTok and Instagram and my handle is indigenous underscore baddie. Can, can we talk about that for a second? I love I love your handle so much. I just want to I want to know how you came up with it. Another thing that I like to ask people with great handles. <laughs> I don't know. Just one day I was like, you know what? This is where I'm gonna make my handle. I'm gonna live up to it, and this is how I want to be perceived. But as <laughs> absolutely so, no, yeah. it well it gives us it gives off such a a confidence and a a confidence really that I think is is so amazing in in everything you do and I really I just want to say congrats on the pregnancy that's like the most exciting thing and congrats on all your success Michelle because you are really you're killing it you're taking off and I'm so excited to continue watching everything that you do (laughs) Uh, that means a lot to me and thank you for having me Yeah, it was really fun talking to you. It was super nice talking to you, Michelle. All the best, okay? Take care. Yeah, you too. Bye. Good job, Al. Thank you. I know I said that the last time, but I'm running out of things to say (laughs) after these interviews. You know what? Michelle was such a different interview than I've done and that I'm used to doing. And she she was so sweet. And she really had this kindness and this sweetness that I don't... You just don't come across it. And I think it speaks a lot to who she is as a person and just, you know, what she's becoming because she is blowing up right now. And it's she's so young. It's it's so fascinating. Her story is so fascinating to me. But it was such a pleasure talking to her. And another pleasure that we're about to experience is you, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) There has to be a better way to segue into this, this mailbag segment. But everyone knows if you've been with us for any length of time. Alex takes your mailbag questions, answers them, researches them, and I'm along for the ride. All right, babe. Well, here it goes. We have a lot of personal questions tonight, which I'm excited for. So question number one, do you ever feel hesitant posting your personal information, views, videos where students, parents, employers, and community members can see it? I don't know if it's old school thinking, but I always have in the back of my mind because once you post, stuff is there forever. And yes, This is always on my mind. You know, when we were growing up, I feel like that was the first thing people told us when using the internet, like when we got our first MySpace or whatever, like be careful about what you put up because it is up there forever. And I am. And I feel like, you know, perhaps I share more than somebody else would, yet I always feel comfortable or for the most part in what I share because it is in the spirit of education, educating mothers and, you know, people in relationships and just women trying to experience life and go through life. And I feel like if I share my challenges and hardships and good times and successes, then it can help somebody else, whether it is directly helping them, you know, if we're talking to an expert on our podcast, or if it's just through 
you know, showing them how I overcame something. And I think that there is so much to be said for that kind of online community because I get so much from, you know, seeing this in other people and accounts I follow. So I I do really appreciate that. But yeah, it's always at the back of my head. And Shane and I are every day learning more ways that we can be more conscientious and more ways that we can be more, I guess, mindful of what we're putting out there. Yeah, I'm always worried, especially the way language changes. Certain mm-hmm. things that might have been acceptable or ubiquitous 10 years ago are really not said today. So I'm thinking, is there anything I said 10 years ago or did or put in a comedic sketch that wouldn't fly today? I'm sure there is. But it's like, I just hope that people understand that the times have evolved and so do I as a person. And even day to day, you and I doing these satirical sketches, what you and I learned pretty darn quick was people don't understand satire and people don't (laughs) understand parody either. So sometimes when you're making fun of something, uh, whether it be uh, people being maligned in some way or just certain behaviors, sometimes people think you approve of these behaviors that you're trying to uh, say are not good. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did a Mabel's Labels ad the other day. Where it was a a parody that made fun of commercials that shame men. And people thought I was making a dumb dad commercial. But really, we were taking the dumb dad commercial and turning it on its head, making fun of it. And sometimes I'm like, is the juice worth the squeeze here? And often I'm so just compelled to be in comedy. I say yes. Yeah. And that, that's why I do it. And it's probably not a good idea to do comedy in 20, <laughs> 2021. But I'm trying. And uh, for the record, I thought that was very funny. A commercial that we did. But- Whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm one was, person with an iPhone. It was cute. All right. Uh, next question. What is your favorite thing to do together? So, I mean, we've got we've got a few relationship questions, it being our fifth anniversary, our 100th episode. But, you know, I'm going to say one of – there. I have three things, okay? In no particular order, I'm going to say podcasting together because it really does make me feel good. I'm going to say eating. I love to go out with you, Shane, whether we go on a vacation somewhere, whether we stay in our own city, whether we are ordering takeout. I love to try new foods with you. And we have so much fun when we plan – a day or an evening around eating. It's like always an amazing time. Uh, And third, I think we're going to do it tonight. We're going to get cozy, saddle up on the couch and play some Toe Jam and Earl. Yes, that's fun. It's so fun. That would be on my list too. It's our favorite video game. It's really the only video game that we consistently play. We play Golden Axe 3. We can go through phases of playing that. But yes, definitely Toe Jam and Earl is our game. It's something when we're very old and gray, I'll be nostalgic about. (laughs) We'll probably still be playing it when we're old and gray. When PlayStation 4 is some relic, it will be something we dust off and play, I think. Uh, For me, I love traveling with you. Mm -hmm. I love... You know, you're you're good travel companion. You just that's one of your things you're very good at. Uh, you're great to be at a bar with and be to be chatting. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. I like going to a comedy show with you. You're a good oh, laugher. So uh, you and I are usually thinking the same things, and and it's almost eerie how similar mm-hmm. we think. So just being out with you, it's good. You're my safe person. That. Um, if I'm feeling awkward in a, a, a social situation, <laughs> yeah. you have my back. So I like going into social situations with you. And I feel a little, 
I don't know, naked without you if I'm out mm. in a social situation. I also have a friend, Mike Veerman, who's kind of fills your void in a similar way where he protects me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, did I give three? Yeah, you definitely give okay. three. You may have given more than three. Okay. But you definitely gave three. Okay, so next question. If you could change anything about your wedding, what would it have been? Okay, I have a couple things. I'll say them first, Shane. You can give this one a little thought. But all right, so I put better photos. But I, I think we have great photos. However, we did have an amateur photographer who is fantastic now. And he was even good when we had him. But just little things that he wasn't comfortable with, like all of our photos from our wedding. Shane had his massive like iPhone, you know, whatever was the model that year. And your wallet in his pocket, creating a bulge in all of our photos. So whether the photographer didn't notice it or maybe he didn't want to say anything, I don't know. But things like that, like I just I wish that that was a little bit more... He, that, that that didn't happen. I wish that that didn't happen. Uh, I wish I, we were very concerned about having a wedding that spoke to us. And because everything was so quick, I just, we didn't want to make it too big of a deal. But it ended up being a kind of a big wedding. Like we had 130 people there, I think in the end. But I, I do wish that we had invited more people, opened it up more. Because we thought that we were getting in over our heads I think as it was, and any more people was just something I couldn't even comprehend. But then once you're there, once you're experiencing it, and then especially the day after, you're like, oh, I guess we could have, I guess we could have done that, you know? So I, I, I guess I would have, I would have wanted more people. Oh, the last thing I had, Shane and all his buddies have a thing where they go out, they take out the groom the night before the wedding, right? And they go out and they have a great time, a great party, they're out all night. However, I think that it puts a damper on the actual wedding day in the sense that then all the buddies who you're counting on to be like the party people at the wedding, they're all hungover. So I, it's like a damper because like you're spending all this money at a wedding, you're bringing in all this booze and you want people to have a good time. And then all the party guys are like, like feeling like they want to throw up already. And it's such a bummer. And to be honest, that was quite annoying to me because like, you know. You want people to you want people to party at your wedding, not the night before the same bar they always party at. And I feel like it could have hurt some of the speeches. Yeah. Not, yeah. To, not to call out any names, but uh, I feel like my old buddy Mike Veerman wasn't feeling too good during that speech. No, his speech was good. But um, okay, for me, I hated what I was wearing. I did not like the pants. I did not like the outfit. I did not like my hair. I did not like my facial hair. Like I just. I didn't like the way I looked. And one thing about your wedding day, you these pictures are immortalized, you know. <laughs> you you want to like the way you're looking. So that I wish I could change and have a complete do-over. In terms of other things, oh, the the gifts. Like I, I've been to so many weddings since. We were one of the first mm-hmm. people in my friend group to get married. So I know now the proper gifts to give to groomsmen and the best men. Oh. I totally cheaped out. Uh, like I thought spending like a very little amount of money on them was okay. When in reality, I went to other weddings and people would give me Ray-Ban sunglasses just for- Who gave you Ray-Bans? Mike. Oh, wow. He gave the entire wedding party this and then the best man got a really special gift and I got Mike like Star Trek beer that he had to like (laughs) pretend, that he had to pretend to like. And in hindsight- (laughs) I feel like an idiot. I feel like totally unprofessional or like not appreciative. 
uh, our rehearsal dinner. We just had this like ridiculous little meal we gave the people. No, it was it, we got we got Portuguese takeout from like the best Portuguese spot in Hamilton. We didn't have a big. It was like us, our parents, and like the the MCs essentially. That was it. We didn't need to be a big thing. I stand by that rehearsal. No, I think I think we should have. Just made it a better meal for everyone, and, right? And done it a little night. Like that meal was only a hundred and something bucks. Yeah, but there were only like well, we, eight people there. So what? We we just had a meal at Pillar and Post, and it was two hundred thirty eight <laughs> bucks, and it was just we're you and older I. and wiser now. Okay, that's what I'm saying. So <laughs> these little details, I wish I put more thought and care yeah. into, because we were trying to be so laissez faire. I feel like it hurt us in some ways, and yes, the pictures were i was sweaty and ridiculous we used an amateur <laughs> photographer anyway you live you learn uh, i liked your outfit for the record okay next question alex goes back to work the delta variant might wreak havoc on society do you guys foresee things changing in regards to your social media and podcast in any way so i guess because of possibly things shutting down again or me being at work full time again. That would help. The, going back to work is going to hurt everything. Yes, that'll the make Delta it tough. variant cl- shutting everything down would help everything. Yes. In terms of social media. So I guess maybe they just balance each other out and then we're back to where we are in a weird way. So maybe, who knows? I think we'll be able to schedule it fine. You're, when you're going back teaching, luckily you're a supply teacher. So yeah. you come home very early. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to stay a supply teacher for a while. Uh, we want the girls to be in school before I go back because it is tough, especially when the kids get sent home. The nice thing with supply teaching is that you don't have any, you know, you're not beholden to a classroom. A class isn't counting on you to provide them with their knowledge because you're popping in. So it's easier to be able to take that time. Next question. What should you do if your in-laws aren't vaccinated without starting any family wars? So it's tough. And I I know we've addressed it before, but it's tough to change people's opinions at this point. It's almost like you have to let them learn. But if it's going to, you know, infringe on the safety of you or any children, because obviously kids can't get vaccinated, then that's where you might just have to step in and say, hey, look, like, do what you feel like you need to do. If that's not getting vaccinated, it's not getting vaccinated. However, if you want to come into my family, into my home, if you want to hang out with us closely, then you do need to be vaccinated because, you know, we have to look out for our kids. We have to protect the people that can't get vaccinated. And I don't know, you you just have to make that call. If it means a lot to you, you have to make that call. Yeah, I would just say, hey, I don't understand or respect your decision, but I respect you as a person and I would love to hang out with you when this is all said and done with. And I hate that this is even an issue, but it is. And let's talk when this is over, unless you are willing to get vaccinated, in which case I'd be happy to welcome you into my home and see my children. Mm hmm. But until then, let's do Zoom. Let's do everything we can to make you feel like you're being an involved grandparent, if that's Mm -hmm. what you choose to be. I'd love to talk to you via Zoom. It's just in person. I'm not comfortable. Yep. No, absolutely. I think that's good. Uh, Next question. So this is by, this is from somebody who will be a father in just 11 days. So he says, tell us about your night of. 
so then the night of labor. So like labor starting at home, everything from the ride there to the ride back. Did you have wine, etc.? That's our question. We're like 11 days away from bringing our little guy home. Is this Uncle Petey? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and were they early or late? Okay, so... Well, let's do one kid, but we we were I was induced for both pregnancies. Uh, Lucy was a day early, and you know because of the induction. So for our last day, I had the balloon put up, the Foley catheter put up, and it was exciting. Like Shane and I went home, and you know when you get the Foley catheter, you're having contractions. It's super uncomfortable. It's painful. You're not you're not happy. But Shane and I were watching. I think we were watching Larry Sanders all day. And then some movies. Well, we went to the hospital mm-hmm. and then they sent us back home and then we had dinner and watched movies more and then we went Yeah. Back. Well, it was actually so nice. So I called my dog. Well, I asked my OB at the hospital um, if I could have a small glass of wine that night to celebrate our last night as being like just the two of us in this, you know, in our family. And she said, yeah. So I had a small glass of red wine. We had like massive steaks, amazing steaks. And just this beautiful, fun night. And then we just watched movies, tried to get some sleep, uh, then drove to the hospital. They put me on a Pitocin drip. Labor was fine until they had to give me the epidural. Things got scary. And then, you know, once the epidural was flowing through me and everything felt great and I was trying to get some sleep again before the baby came, the doctor comes in and he goes, okay, Alex, just a routine checkup. You know, it's probably going to be many hours from now, but let me see. Puts his hand in there and he goes, oh no, this is happening right now. Shane, you had a funny reaction to that. Yeah, I went to the washroom and just kind of splashed water on my face because I didn't want to faint. I didn't know if I would faint, but I'd seen too many movies probably. And I thought, oh no, I'm going to faint and be like that dad who's like, oh. Uh, but yeah, I, I had a little panic but and went pee. Because I didn't, I didn't want, you know, when you have to go pee. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. You, you don't want to be watching your favorite movie and have to piss the entire time. So if this is going to be one of the best moments of my life, I don't want to have that hampered with <laughs> having to go pee. But uh, yeah, the time Lucy was born, which was Ugh, 2 a.m. That's the worst time for a kid to be born. Oh, my gosh. And if you can somehow make the child come out at 4 p.m., <laughs> That's the best time because the adrenaline and everything, by the time that's done pumping out of your system, it's like 11 at night. Yeah. Go to bed and you wake up and it's fine. But kids born at 2 a.m., you got the adrenaline going all all night. You can't sleep in the day because there's so many tests and things that need to happen with the child. And then you can barely sleep the other night because you're overtired and just stressed out. And it's the night of hell where the baby typically likes to cluster feed. So it's yeah. like the baby is just a little more fussy the first night. They're just so new and sleepy and nice, nice and sweet. And then the second night, they're like little, you know, little adorable demons who just cry a lot. So it gets tougher. Yeah. And just for the man, prepare to be very uncomfortable if you do have to spend the night there. Yes. They don't give you a bed. They Bring give a pillow. You, it's terribly uncomfortable torture chamber device they make you sleep on. It's <laughs> like this chair. weird. It's not a chair. It's like kind of trying to be a love CD, but it's. But it small. turns into a bed, right? So like it's a chair that like eventually reclines. So it's like kind of bed like, but not. It's like a weird lazy boy. That's super uncomfortable. A hospital lazy boy. And uh, yeah, so watch out for that. Don't hop in the bed with. 
your wife. I, I did that. <laughs> I, I liked it. I didn't mind I it. know, but the nurses don't like it and they'll think you're just being rude and inconsiderate. Yeah. And I brought a robe. No, you bought me I a bought robe because my birthday was the same day where my daughter was born. So you, you, our daughter was born. So you got me a robe. And then I was going skin to skin in your bed, in your hospital bed. And nurses just thought I was this weirdo. <laughs> But I and I, I think it was beautiful. I thought it was so great. And I still do. But uh, it made Shane feel uncomfortable just because of the reaction from some of the nurses. But yeah, so we were there. We were there for a few nights because they had to keep an eye on the baby, make sure that she didn't have any heart defects because that was a risk. And then we got the go ahead. It was really funny because a few weeks before giving birth to Lucy, Shane broke his foot playing basketball. So he is in a walking cast for the birth. So we're leaving the hospital. I like, you know, I'm recovery mode totally. So there's no way I'm holding the car seat to leave the hospital. So Shane's got all my bags on one shoulder. He's got this walking cast on. So he's just totally hobble mode. And then he's got the baby. And it was, I have so many pictures from this, from leaving the hospital. And they make my heart so warm just because it's so telling of that specific moment of time and all these things that were happening around us. And yeah, then I remember just how scary it was to put this tiny brand new and like we didn't really know many babies before this. So we have this tiny, tiny baby and Lucy was tiny and trying to put her in this car seat. And it just, it felt so weird. It was so scary. We didn't know if we were doing it right. And it's just, it felt like some big contraption on this little bean. And then just putting her in the car and driving home. The whole drive home was terrifying. It was terrifying. But then once we got there and we kind of walked in the house with the baby, it was just, it was a very special moment. And that first, you know, the first 24 hours, actually, this is bleeding into another question (laughs) that I got, but it was so special to kind of go in and kind of like play house all over again. Like it's, it felt so brand new and it was just the start of this totally new experience into parenthood. And just the feeling that I had of like the newness, the wonder, a little bit of fear and just like a ton of excitement, uh, that feeling that's kind of indescribable will just stay with me forever. Like it's, it's just such a memorable feeling. Like, you know, when you smell something, you're like, I don't exactly know what that scent is, but it brings back all these feelings. That's what, you know, that is kind of like for me. What was the question again? Uncle Petey just wanted to know what it was like, you know, before we got to the hospital and then what it was like once we got home because they're about to bring home their first baby. Oh, yeah. Well, this is such an exciting time. I know. To me, the worst part of having our first child was being at the hospital. Yeah. And I found everything easy afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like, I, 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 I'm I, getting weird flashbacks right now and so glad that's over with. I know, me too. <laughs> Hate the hospital process. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst. It's and, the worst. And being two on one when it's like two parents versus one kid, mm-hmm. it's, it's way more fun. It was way <laughs> it was harder easier. when you have two kids. <laughs> But I get it. Your first time, it's always going to be tough your first time, but it's going to be especially tough for your wife there, Uncle Petey. So make sure that you are taking care of her in every way that she needs it. But next question. I'm suffering from mom guilt and depression. How do I ask family members to give me help with the kids? Be direct. Be direct. And give them a job over just saying, oh, yeah, like, you know, maybe I could use some help or making jokes. And as hard as that might be, because I know people in general aren't good at asking for help, 
but you need to do that because people want to help. They often just don't know how to do that or they don't want to overstep their boundaries. So if you say, hey, I need a babysitter for an hour tomorrow so that I can take a shower, so that I can take a nap, so I can get work done, whatever. Hey, I need a babysitter overnight. I need somebody to possibly take my kid overnight so that I can get some sleep because I am fighting depression and I'm sleep deprived and I truly just need this. People want to be there for you. So tell them because it's going to be really hard for them to just kind of guess. Next question. If you could live anywhere else in the world, where would it be? We've had this question before and I included it again because mine changed as of today, Shane. What's your answer, Al? Well, we've been spending a lot of time in Niagara. We were there in Niagara on the lake yesterday. We walked by some gorgeous lakefront houses in this adorable little like Hallmark movie town. And I'm choosing there. But this is fantasy world because you'd have to be very wealthy. Yeah. So the question isn't if you were very wealthy and could live anywhere in the world, where would you? It's if you had to move, given your current financial standing, where would you well, move to? I don't know. I, I didn't hear those rules attached to the question either. I think it's implied. Is it? Okay. Okay. Fine. Fine. East Coast, Canada. Halifax. Yeah. I think that's a good answer. Yeah. PEI, Newfoundland. I don't care. Somewhere on the East Coast. So happy there. It's so nice. People are cool. The air smells good. I like it. Next question. Do you have any marriage advice for newlyweds? And congrats on five years. Okay, I can hit you with one more Shane thinks. He's, he's got a thinking look on his face. No, I don't. <laughs> you do. Choose your battles. Number one, don't, like you're going to get frustrated a hundred times in a day. So just don't say something every time you get frustrated because that's going to grate on both of you and it's going to get you both down. So don't do that. Choose your battles. Say something when it truly means something. And it can still be a, a small thing. But, you know, really try to be mindful of that. Next, manage your expectations. You know, communicate what you need, what you don't need. And, like, I was really bad at this. I think I'm getting better. But if Shane and I would have, like, you know, something that we were celebrating or just, like, a special thing, I might have through-the-roof expectations and like over the top excitement about these expectations coming to fruition, I'd be like so pumped. And then obviously it's not going to happen. And if I don't tell Shane what I'm expecting of our day or of him, then those expectations won't be met. And then I kind of get crestfallen. And I get sad. So just knowing what to expect, telling your partner what you expect or what you hope could happen and just having those conversations, I think is super important. Crestfallen, Alex. Crestfallen. That's, this, you've never said that once. Are you trying to be cooler on the mic with no, your Shane, uh, more that, poetic? That's the word that would describe how I would feel. In your life, how many times have you said crestfallen? I've written it more than I've said it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have newlywed advice. If you're newlyweds, you shouldn't even, I guess, stay the way you are. As newlyweds, sometimes when Alex and I are in a particularly frustrating time of life, you know, and it seems like these chunks tend to happen in like two week increments, we'll say, let's pretend we're dating. Mm -hmm. And what we're really saying is, let's pretend we're newlyweds. Let's just act like, you know, if we just, if, if you spilled the thing of milk all over my pants and we were just dating or newlyweds, we would laugh. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't say, oh, I just washed these and then start some <laughs> weird 
argument that yeah. largely does, is only because you're too comfortable with each other mm-hmm. and you're being not as nice as you'd be to a stranger even. So yeah, keep that energy for as long as you can. And when you find yourself getting out of that dating newlywed energy, try to just play a game and say, I'm going to treat this person as if how I would treat them when we first fell in love or after we got married, depending if, if you're newlyweds and you've been together 15 years, (laughs) you still, you know, if if you're true newlyweds, which to me is you get married quick, right? You meet like you and I did. And then when you're married, you still have that glow about you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just try to keep that. No, I think, I think that's good. And the one thing that my, my Bobcha would say, my grandmother who's like very, you know, just Eastern European lady that I think is important and people disagree with this all the time and that's totally fine. But it never stopped trying to impress each other in a sense. Like, you know, doll yourself up for your partner. If you guys are having a date night, even if it's inside, you know, do things that make your partner feel good just because and really kind of go the extra mile for them and make it habitual and then it's it's going to get reciprocated because you don't want to be the a-hole in the relationship who is just being a turd when the other person is being so nice and so kind and just doing things that make you feel good. And I, I just think it's such a good habit to get into. And she would also tell me not to uh, poop or toot in front of your partner, which I I agree with. I only ever let that happen by accident. Pooping in front of the partner, that's just, <laughs> that's a lot. Hey, check this out. (laughs) Could you close the door, please? Oh, sorry, prude. (laughs) Next question. What is your favorite memory from the last five years of marriage? Hi from the UK. So hello back to the UK. Shane, do you want to start this one off? No. Okay, I'll start off. So the first one I kind of got into before, but bringing home the baby and that, that 24 hours of not being in the hospital, but being at home with the baby, like... Shane, we had these, you know, really fancy beers and we had nice music playing and Shane and I would just sit there and like look so lovingly at baby Lucy who would just sleep and like look cute and seemingly always have this smile on her face. And we just kind of cuddle on the couch and just look at the baby and just be in awe. And that was such a fascinating time again because it was just so Mm -hmm. new and it was like so exciting and you just don't know what to expect next and you just like feel so much love for your partner and the baby and it's like there's something so magical about that with your first kid and it's so fun (laughs) it's so fun so that was like oh amazing moment that feeling doesn't happen this with the second kid does it (laughs) no sorry betty (laughs) (laughs) It, it doesn't you have obviously feelings of love and you're in awe but it's different the next one is the night that we got our new house. So I'm cooking food in the kitchen in our first house that we ever owned together. And you had been, unbeknownst to me, working out like bank stuff and like getting opinions from my dad and stuff on the phone. And you guys had gotten word that we placed the winning bid or like we got this house that we had been walking by like every weekend. We really loved it. And then you came home and told me and it was just... Like that was such a I happy. It too. You did, and honestly, that was like a moment where I felt like such a grown up. Even though I was already thirty years old, it made me feel like such a grown up, and it made me feel like 
just, I don't know, like, you know, you, you don't get validated by the things that you have or anything like that. But there was something validating about it for me, about getting the thing that we truly wanted, that we were working hard toward. And there was something so validating about that for me and just comforting. Yeah, I wouldn't say a home is a thing you have. It's so much more than that. It's yeah. it's like a place. It's a feeling. Mm-hmm. And this house that we're in right now was what we both wanted. And we thought it was a home before we even yeah. knew what that would really feel like to be in here. Yeah. And it's it's lived up to it. So I think, yeah, good call. These um, are great answers so far. Okay, I have one more. And I, I'm curious for your uh, opinion here. But we've had a lot of great party nights together, Shane. But there's one in particular that just stands out in my mind as being just a great party night. Much it, music it, night? It, that was a great one too. But this one truly did. And it only happened, it happened like the summer before we had Betty. So it was like kind of recent. And, you know, we'd been together still for a long time before this. But you and I went out for a night on the town. We had a babysitter for Lucy. We went out for dinner and a movie, right? That was the plan. But the movie was done at like nine o'clock. So we're like, oh boy, like we, we got a babysitter. Yeah, yeah, with Matthew McConaughey. And then we're like, we still got time. So then we went out to our favorite brewery, having so much fun at the brewery. We're like, you know what? There's like a new dance bar down the street. Let's go check it out. So we go to this place called Shaolin. It's like a basement dance club. Nobody's dancing. It's like a Wednesday night. Nobody's dancing. Everybody's kind of hanging around. Shane and I are feeling good. Like we're feeling great. And not only that, but we're feeling in love. Like, you know that when you go out with your partner and you just have those special nights where you're both just feeling so in love and there's so much chemistry, even though you're so used to each other, it's like a brand new chemistry all over again. So we're feeling that. And Shane and I are making requests to this really weird old man DJ. He's playing our request. We're vibing. We are dancing our butts off. We're like making out on the dance floor. And this DJ is pretty strange because he he plays this miniature drum set along with the song. (laughs) And it's just very strange and and fun. He also shows the music videos at the same time. So it's this whole thing that's just so funny and so fun. And then we're just having... A ball. And then before you know it, all the young kids in the club, they just start dancing all around us. And Shane and I, I felt like we're just like making out in the center with a spotlight on us. And all the young kids are just kind of, you know, celebrating with us. And it was so fun. And that was one of my favorite party nights ever. Yeah, no, those are great answers. I like them. Do you have any different ones? Well, yours are so much better than mine. But what I was going to say was us going to Vegas was a really big highlight oh, when we so had Lucy. Fun. But nothing tops Lucy being born. Like just your first child having it come out. It's such an overwhelming, magical, life-changing thing that that is hard to top. Yeah. Um, what else was really good? Being on our honeymoon was fun. Traveling around, we had some fun oh, moments. amazing. We were on a nude beach on our honeymoon (laughs) and we saw like a threesome taking place which was pretty magical (laughs) to have that as the second most magical moment after our kid being born would feel weird but there was another moment on our honeymoon i really enjoyed uh which was us being in the water when it was kind of raining but it was still sunny it was like a sun shower and all these birds were diving for fish all around us and it just felt like a scene out of a movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
Very that cool. Was very cool, babe. Also on that honeymoon, you getting tricked into thinking that you had won some huge prize by these timeshare tricksters. I, I kind of did. Kind of did what? Won a prize, kind of. You had to sit through a timeshare meeting to get it and get harassed to get it, which, which we've talked about, but like, yeah, I kind of did. But yeah, no, those those are awesome. And, you know, amongst everything, and all those are pretty like big monumental vacations or life moments. But so many of my favorite memories are honestly like us sitting on the couch watching a movie together for the first time, like watching Babette's Feast for the first time, Phantom Thread, playing Toe Jam and Earl, and just those little moments that are so inconsequential because they happen more often, but they just, they're so nice. Final question. This is from The Realist. The real Miss Blondie. She says, congrats on 100 amazing episodes. I look forward to your podcast every week. My question. Do you think that if you and Shane started dating when you first met on set, it would have worked out? Timing is everything. And it was probably meant that you guys were meant to meet again later on. But do we think we would have worked out? I do think that we met again at a perfect time and having that, you know, that first meeting kind of established us as being acquaintances was helpful because then it got us excited about our first date. I'd like to think that it would have worked out. We were both way younger, like five years younger. I was too young. I was like 23 and not very relationship minded. Yeah, you'd be hard not to marry. You're just a good piece to my pie. I like that. That warmed my heart. As funny as it sounded. Yeah, like. no, because yeah, it, it's just some things work so right that it transcends timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think our relationship is one of those things. Just because I couldn't be with anyone else, I honestly couldn't. No, oh, I don't think mm-hmm. I could. It's too much fun. And in this, Shane, I know you don't remember, but this is kind of what we were talking about in the pool yesterday. Uh, when when we were both bawling our eyes out there and in just this loving uh, little you're not exaggerating this at all. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm legitimately shocked that you don't remember this. And yeah, and we were just talking about uh, what you remember telling me about you know how great it is that we're best friends. Like actually, uh, pff, I wish I remembered that. Shame. <laughs> What's wrong with me? You were going on and on about how I actually am your best friend and about how oh. comforting it is to be like yeah. lovers and best friends. And I how... said lovers? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you get very poetic I, I, after a few years. Is lovers poetic? I, I, I feel like I don't say lovers outside of a joking context. Okay. Yeah, you're my best friend. I agree with that. I'm happy about it. Well, there you go. So am I. I could see myself crying about that. But yeah, so yeah, we'd be together no matter what. No, I agree. And I mean, here we are together, 100 episodes in, 101 next week, and it's all so freaking exciting. I can't wait. The pod starts now. Pod starts now. And if we blocked you, I'm sorry, but you can still listen to our podcast. Just, <laughs> just never contact us again, please, and thank you. But to all the people who aren't blocked and people who are kind out there, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to This, this Family, Family Tree, Tree podcast, podcast, episode 100. 100. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo!